1: Hey, welcome to Counter-Charge. I'm Brian Trump. I'm Blake Strode. Hey, I'm Kelly Wheaton. And I'm Rob
2: Fanoff, and we're back again for the Abyssal Dwarfs Army Review. Guys, did you guys know this was a hotly anticipated episode? We have been keeping getting asked over and over again, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? We're doing it.
1: Because we're all struggling with the army, baby.
2: (laughs) Probably a good entry point to the discussion is that there's not a lot of people playing it. It's a difficult army to play currently in the landscape. Maybe some of the units are maybe overcosted. There's probably lots of things that are going to come up, and it'll explain why they're not winning a lot of tournaments right now. Brian, this could be your Keith Randall moment, where you put a spotlight on something so bright that Mantic has to address it like Keith did with Elves a few years ago. We can hope. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. So let up, you. we're going to do introductions. Let's get the folks that haven't been on the show before, and we're going to start with Brian. Give us your background on how you got into gaming.
1: I've only been playing Kings War about 18 months. I've only been wartop table gaming for about five years. I started with Legion, and then I got pulled in through Legion at the local game shop. We hooked up with Rob and some of the other guys in the Memphis area. It looked like an interesting game. They gave me some background on it. I don't have the, the deep war table gaming background a lot of you guys have, but... I've picked up the game pretty quick. I enjoy it. It's very fun. It's the reason I picked Abysseldorf specifically as a new player. They had a full model line. It was easy for me to get models, get it painted, and get it on the table. That's pretty much where I started. I've always done D&D in my life and things like that, but it's, I'm relatively new to wartime table gaming. I've had some success with this army in tournaments recently, three and two, but only because the draw rock. I got lucky with the draw, and that's pretty much my background. So I'm relatively new to the scene, but uh, the scenes welcomed me, and it's been a great community so far. We're
2: happy to have you, Brian. Let's throw it over to Kelly. He's obviously the first time on P- Countercharge.
3: I was uh, introduced to Wargaming generally when I was 10 years old and fell in love with it. About uh, when I was 35, a friend of mine introduced me to Warhammer. And, you know, I said, I'm going to take the plunge. I had not been painting anything up until then. And so I ended up purchasing at the tail end of fourth edition, fourth edition Warhammer, and I've played it ever since. Uh, when uh, GW blew up Warhammer and went to Age of Sigmar. I didn't want to play that. And so I switched over to Ninth Age and I have enjoyed Ninth Age for a long time, but about the last year or so, I said, you know, it's not doing it for me anymore. Let's try Kings of War. I want to play a ranks and flank game and I'm loving it. I think Kings of War is great. It's a great game. It's a great competitive game. I've only played Abyssal Dwarves basically since I switched over uh obviously i played abyssal Dwarves when i was playing warhammer it, it, it's an interesting army and i've enjoyed trying to figure out how to play it well i can assure you that i am not winning often but i am other than michael
2: it. sigler he might you might be the first person that's kind of come to us from the ninth age and that and obviously that's another game that popped up when we had the sundering back in 2015 where warhammer fantasy battles kind of fell off the cliff and we got age of Sigmar, and, as I say all the time, there's a game for everybody and everybody for a game. But what was it about Ninth Age, you know, where, where it's at today that you wanted to make the shift? You're, you're scratching the same itch in the sense it's ranks and flanks. But was there something else that Kings of War was going to offer that you weren't getting from that? Or was it just a community thing? There just wasn't enough players? I mean, give me a sense of why the switch.
3: Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's a great question. I think for me, it's a couple of things. One, and, and I don't want to start a flame war. I think the people who design Ninth Age are are wonderful. It's all volunteer. Everybody knows that. And they work their butts off. But I do think that they have made the game too complicated. They're trying very hard to do what Kings of War does, which I think it does better, which is have a large number of armies, 16 or so, that are all competitive against one another. And that's really hard to do. And yet those 16 armies feel different. That's a very difficult thing to do. And I just kind of think Ninth Age has, in order to accomplish that goal, which is the same goal that Kings of War has, it's gotten over complex. And what I found when I went to Kings of War was that the cognitive load on a player is less and therefore, it's more enjoyable. It's more. And enjoyable. as a new
1: player, I can tack on to that because as a new player, as I was starting to play, I love the fact that once you learn base sizes, tend to do typical attack patterns, movement speeds, defense. You get that pattern across all the base sizes. It's helped me to pick up what other armies do, but I needed to know all the armies because there are so many.
4: So to add to that, Kelly, for me, part of the genius of Kings, and I know Rob has talked about there being so many armies and, and everything else, and maybe we may have to get fewer at some point. but the simplicity of it doesn't distract from the balance makes it a much better game. I think a challenge where you're concentrating on the play instead of that optional role or this appendix roll or, or anything like that. You're concentrating on how am I going to maneuver? How am I going to outplay my opponent? Hopefully I get lucky on some dice rolls and I don't roll snakes. But my point is simplicity and balance is the true genius, I think, of Kings of War compared to other systems. And obviously... I I haven't played the Ninth Age, but I've read it and I've played all those other games and there isn't anything, you know, even though we were talking earlier about certain units or whatever, certain armies might need some help or whatever, balancing maybe at this point. Comparatively overall, it is a much simpler and more balanced version. And that's kind of the whole genius of it, which is why it's also really easy to get new players in. Uh, You know, Rob's done tons of interviews with new players and that's one of the things that's always good about it.
3: I absolutely agree. I think that was really well put. I think it's a game that because it is smoother, you can pick it up faster and you can spend more time, more mental energy thinking about how to play the game as versus as you said what's what's this what's this arcane once in a game rule that I have to remember. But actually it's really important because if I don't remember it
2: I'm going to lose the game. And I absolutely. And you guys said it very eloquently, so we'll just keep rolling. Let's get to the hobby update, Uh, Kelly. Why don't you start us off? What's on your painting table? Because
3: I'm obviously a glutton for punishment, I'm thinking about I'm going to pick up some Ratkin slaves. I think that if there's an army that's played less than Abyssal dwarfs, it's Ratkin slaves, based on what I've heard. But you know what? The reason why I picked it up is because it I I'm going to see if I can take some of the problems I see with Abyssals and maybe mitigate them some. With some of the units that are in in, in the Racking slaves. And now that allies are gone, that's the way you can produce variety in a in an army that you've got, right? Is to go to to go to the, the, the alternative. My other thinking is, and I don't know, I'm not played, I'm just painting. I'm painting some and of course when you have Racking Slaves, it's a lot of models. Um, but uh I'm thinking, you know, with the loss of, of Mac Wars, right? With the loss of Caterpillar. Uh, crushing, I think, becomes just that much more important. And if you look at the Ratkin Slaves, they actually seem to have more units with more crushing, and you're not that dependent upon Thunderous. And so all that's my thinking, and so I've got a couple of Ratkin Slave
2: units on The the next army review that's on my plate is Ratkin Slaves, so yeah, good timing. Good timing, Kelly. I commend you for taking a Horde army on, because those are not easy. I will say, Ratkin Slaves are deceivingly good, I came off a victory at uh, Shiloh last year with, with a siege breaker spam list and was completely humbled by Tim Lonas and his ratkin slaves who tabled me. You think it does one thing, but it does something completely different. Right. And it, it's sort of like surge. That first time you get that rear surge, you're like, Oh, that hurts. But then you're like, gosh, that's genius. You know that that's really cool. And And hopefully, hopefully I'm smart enough to not get caught out by that again. So. Well, awesome, uh, Brian. What's on your paint desk?
1: It's slash Northern Alliance. Um, I went to tour- Kings of Memphis GT last uh in, uh, in January. You, you mean I King of myself, Monsters? King of Monsters. Yeah. There, there's yeah, so King there's too
2: many King of M tournaments, i be, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, and
1: so so I went to that tournament, I did okay as usual, but that tournament has a special character that beefed up our army. It's Mothra, it has a whole bunch of healing and stuff, so it helps the army quite a bit. Uh, but I swore that would be my last GT on uh Bisseldorf because I got tired of getting down, so to speak. So I've shifted to Varga. What I'm about right now is I, I'm i painting, uh, I'm using uh, Mantic Pack Hunters as my Night Raiders, so I'm painting them currently, but I just finished painting a bunch of Lord and Frost Fangs, Stains and Frost Fangs, a bunch of zombies I'm using for Drager. So that's what I, I'm shifting towards Northern Line slash Varga, because it gives me, again, a lot of models I get from Mantic as a new player, because I don't have a lot of stuff to substitute, and it just gives me a lot of things to work with, two armies at once, basically. Over the
2: years, we've had, obviously... The rule set. Every rule set is figure agnostic. At the end of the day, right? I, I think the the improvement in the quality of the Mantic models now. Abyssal Dwarves are a good example. They're they're pretty good, right? And the new EOD and the new Ogres. So I'm I'm right there with you, Brian. I, I'm excited. I'm painting salamanders right now. For those that may not have known, we we are we have started a slow grow league. We want the best painters and the best hobbyists and the most creative people out there to showcase that these armies are actually pretty awesome if you put the effort into them. Unit basing is the great greatest thing in the world. And and I know that's probably that falls on deaf ears for all the historical gamers that, that have already been doing that for years where they have element basing. I started playing Kings of War, my undead was all individual and movement trays, And someone said, why don't you just put them on a base? Why make them separate? I would say with first edition, and we talked about it in our episode 600 where we had the, the re- rules recap I've been burned a few times with Kings of War, early days, where I had a 30-man unit of zombies that now it doesn't exist anymore. But I think at this point, I think basing sizes are
1: pretty locked in. Speaking of Mantic models, I really like the new Ogre models, lines that they just came out with. So I was torn between going Berger, but as a bunch of guys locally gave me some deals on some plastic. So I went that direction, but I really want to paint and and build an Ogre army.
2: So what you're saying is you're going to be finishing the Varner slash Northern Alliance army, and at the same time starting the Ogre army for the counter charge mantic army slow grow challenge it's only 2300 points that's 230 points a month
1: i might slow grow the Argo army i may actually do that
2: <laughs> start over to blake because for those who don't know about blake blake and his son kyle run the big game at adepticon so obviously you probably have ten thousand points of goblins on your table right now right is that, is that what you're doing Twenty thousand and trying to rush them but i'm trying to do these a little bit nicer
4: to get done it, it's a slog a little bit. A couple things I'm working on is trying to incorporate the grabbers that you're always telling everybody about, Rob, to, to pick up units. Handles. you got to have handles on your base. I've been trying to incorporate those into our plan for all the bases for them. This time, trying to instead of giving everybody books, we're trying to incorporate the rules on the back of the base. So that's taking a little bit of time to perfect, but um, we're working on it. Um, I actually am also working on Armada. I'm doing an Armada big game. How many ships do you, do you need? I don't know. I know uh, the complete bundles are back on Mantic right now on sale, uh, so i got to buy them quick. Um, yeah, but, yeah, that's, uh, I'll be doing that at like Little Wars for the first time, um, which is a historical convention in Chicago. But that's a great game to play, like Historic Con, Little Wars. I'm basically going to try to do a fantasy Trafalgar with good and bad. That's kind of what we're aiming for um, on a eight foot by six foot board. With a giant Kraken in the middle, of course, right? Yes. We're going to have to have some fun things running around for sure. But um, but uh, anyway, so yeah, right now I'm just trying to get some Armada ships done for that. Uh, and I have a whole lot of goblins on the way uh, for the Slow Grow League. I, am, I haven't 100% decided, but it's going to either be some ogres or some rats. I have them ready to go. I just got to figure out which one it is, and I'll try to do the slow League as well. We got a
2: lot of participation for that. There's probably like 50 people that said that they're interested in it. We'll see how many people are there in December, right? That's the hard part. It's easy to start. It's hard to finish
4: with work for me. That's that's the one thing I tend to paint in big batches where I'll do like a whole lot in two months. And then I have to take two months off because of work. Then I'm back to, you know, painting for a month and then I'm off for three and then I I get another couple of good months. in. that's going to be the hard part is doing it every month and getting points for it. But yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Going to have fun with it. You know, I'm basically going to cheat. Uh, Kyle's doing all of his ogres right now for trying to get those ready for a DevCon, So I'm learning some of the things he's doing and I'm going to modify it from what he's doing so I can make it look better. He doesn't
2: paint your stuff for you? No. What's the point of having a, a son?
4: Yeah. I, I mean, I give him all these models and he doesn't, doesn't return them. I, I don't
2: know. <laughs> Let's get to a real quick commercial break on the other side. We're going to chat about the background of Abyssal So We'll be right back. I'm Tyler Schultz, loser at Vanguard, but countercharger in Kings of Four, and you're listening to Countercharge. So next up, let's chat about what are your motivations for playing this army. We'll start with Kelly.
3: Well, I first picked up, uh, you know, what was the Chaos Dwarves almost 20 years ago. And I think what attracted them to me at that time was the fact that at, at that time, 20 years ago, if you played Dwarves, everything was slow. And I actually like the fact that in a sense, Abyssal Dwarves made a really good, what I would call hammer and anvil army, right? You have a hard core and then you have something fast that can hit pretty hard. That's why I started with them. I think another reason why I've stuck with them is I kind of like painting red uh, and I paint a lot of red and I think I can paint it well and I think they look good. And so that's why I picked them up this time because I also felt like they could be relatively easy to play, which is not the same thing as successful. And so those are my reasons for picking up Abyssal Dwarves and sticking Well, let's up. throw it to Blake. I, I've
4: done a whole mess of big games. That was an easy way to get a whole lot of different armies for Mantic put together because um, we tended to do two armies on each side. And I had a table where we did Trident Realms and Forces of Nature versus Abyssal Dwarves and Abyssals, the Forces of the Abyss. I tried Trident Realms, and I was really enjoying uh, certain aspects of them, I really enjoyed the Coral Giants, stuff like that. That's uh, a fun army to play, but it wasn't really something that I could devote enough time to get enough reps in to really play it well. And I was looking for something uh, else to play in another tournament. And uh, the funnily enough, the Breed unit is the, one of the better units that I painted. And I love those models. I was like, oh, I want to do Breeds. I want to do Abyssal Dwarves. And I build up from there. Funnily enough, now I have none in my army. Uh, which we'll get into later. But that was kind of the motivation is I really had the Abyssal uh, Half Reads ready to go. And I really liked those models. And of course, you know, like Kelly, I've been around and seen Chaos Dwarves for years. Um, I go back all the way to the 80s with them. So for me, that was kind of the thing, you know, just do the Abyssal Dwarves, do, do some Chaos, throw it in there. Some evil guys. Um, I've been playing nothing but good guys all throughout Kings except for Undead. So I played Undead and then I played good guys and I wanted another evil army. So I I was like, I love my half-breeds, I want to play them. Where's your neutral army? Well, mainly forces of nature, but right now that's just, you know, GAE spam, and I don't really want to join that
2: bandwagon right now. In terms of the, the the way the meta develops, you know, I was always in the impression, well, the fact that you only get the yearly updates means that maybe that paces the meta, and, and, I, and I'm starting to learn that's not the case. So right now you got, you know, the greater air elementals out there. People have adjusted. Yeah. So now what you're going to have to see is, those people that have been leaned into that are going to have to change.
4: That is one of the things that isn't static because as soon as somebody develops a way to overcome one of the metas, all of a sudden everybody starts funneling in on that. And then all of a sudden the meta shifts. Somebody else is going to have to find something to take advantage of those armies. So now I know, hey, he's got three bolt throwers. What can I do to really mess that up with the rest of his army or, or whatever? So, yeah, I agree with that. For me, it was those half frees I just love them especially the, the the champion um one of the best heroes in the game so I was had visions of sending those out in droves to to, to slay my enemies before me and and you'll see where that
2: changed. <laughs> we have that 3.5 book, and there's and is incorporated all the changes. And we locally we have an Abyssal Dwarf player that's really leaning into the Berserkers and trying to make those work with the with the health fan to give you the wild charge aura. The effective build, right, might be more defense six, right? That might be the current build. But I don't know what the future holds. There's we're in that change where you guys are experimenting and you're trying different things, and that's like the most exciting time when Nothing is settled, Brian.
1: Over to you. I, as a new player, I was t- one model brought me to Abyssal Doris. I was torn between the O or or Ogre line and Abyssal Doris when I was picking an army, and the main model that brought me was the Great Obsidian Golem. I just loved the model. I thought it was a cool model. I wanted to paint it, and I liked the idea of D6 golems. Uh, so that's kind of the model that brought me to it. And after reading some of the rules and playing a few games, and some because I started out playing blank bases, maybe like most new players, I just had a bunch of blank bases with sticky notes tracking all my health. And as I was playing, I learned quick that I thought the army taught me a lot of movement early. It punished me when I made a mistake. Like you have to be super careful with positioning and distance and charge distance and knowing what's coming in the flanks. So it made me really hyper aware of the board, is why I've stuck with it. But I think now I've I feel I've outgrown the I want I want I want more speed. I want more nimble. I want more fifty mil base monsters and I want I want about a I want about a project threat. And I want to better control some board spacing. And and, and In the Abyssal Dwarf, I always feel like I always have to absorb the first charge, and I can't control. I have no table control. I I don't feel I can control the table or project that threat, so that's why I'm shifting. You want to be like in life. You're a raging Cajun. I'm a Cajun. I'm aggressive by nature. I like to attack stuff. And sometimes when I first started playing, I learned the hard way. With Abyssal Dwarfs, you can't do that because you get smashed off the table. You have to be more patient. And I want to go more of an Alpha Strike Army, which, which is what Barriger is, where I can just Run out there, charge turn two, and smash face is kind of what I'm looking for. And that's how I landed on Barrier. But that's Abyssal Dwarfs has taught me a ton. It's a great starting arm, in my opinion, because it taught me the board and, the, and positioning and charge distances and things like that. So it, it helped me a ton, but that's why I stuck with it.
2: There might be a correlation, too. A lot of great players have played Abyssal Dwarfs at, at some point. And locally, we obviously have Dan Kamek, who's really good currently with his Ratkin. Yes. I mean, he, he had a good spell with the Abyssal Dwarfs. Let's get into the army review. We're going to start with special rule. The throwing Mastiff. I love this special rule. It's really good, especially if you have it in mass. Because that's the last thing. Like, if I'm if I bringing defense four, that's the last thing I want to see. Is <laughs> a bunch of uh, always hit on fours, right? Negate my whatever I've got. Negate stealthy. You know, it's, it, everything. It doesn't matter. It hits on fours. And the piercing one is also deceivingly good as well. The Throwing Mastiff is, the unit is equipped with a single ranged attack with the following profile. Throwing Mastiff, 12 inches, attacks 8, piercing 1. The attack always hits on 4s. Once used, the unit's Throwing Mastiff is destroyed and cannot be used again for the remainder of the game. Kelly, you start us off. What are your thoughts? I mean, do you use this upgrade, and what's your thoughts on it?
3: Yeah, I I do use Throwing Mastiffs. I think... I think they have a couple of sneaky uses. One of the ones that, uh, I think I saw in a battle report recently, and I said, wow, that's really smart is against individuals, for example, because obviously the always hits on four, you're negating the individual minus one. And more importantly, when you only have eight dice, you're going to hit four times and you're going to wound about two times if you're doing well. So all of a sudden, throwing it at certain units, I don't think is useful, but throwing it things, small units, other chaff is really a good way. And I think, I think they gave us throwing mastiffs at least in part as a way to clear chaff, because I think it's good at that also. The last thing I'll say is, is I do struggle with them. I think if you're just throwing eight at something, you're not likely to do much. I mean, obviously you're plinking wounds, but you're not likely to do much, which means they need to be used on moss, right? You need to have two or three of them and throw all two or three of them at the same unit, which is just focus fire, which we all understand. But I think Focus fire is even more important when you're using throwing
4: mastiffs. I love it because you can't hide from the dogs. Cover doesn't matter. Anytime you can team up and use several units with throwing mastiffs on anything, that's when they're becoming dangerous for like removing an obstacle, uh, removing chaff uh, based on what you need. Individual is perfect. Uh, use for them. Sometimes, depending upon what I'm doing, because I tend to run them on my uh, my my own chaff units, my ma- Mastiffs, if I'm in a situation against certain armies, I do actually spread them out and do the plink here and there, because I'm looking for certain units that are difficult to kill in one blow from a Golem unit, say, but if I have one or two wounds on them, it could be just enough to make sure that I, I get through it. Um, especially if I can hit somebody with two Golem units, and I know I'm going to do just enough to put me at say a five. If I can throw one or two wounds on, all of a sudden now it's a three nerve check. That's a lot better odds, you know. So, but but those are army situations and then very rare. But Kelly put it perfectly. If you have them, key in on one thing, fire control. Uh, try to pour as much as you can onto it and clear out chaff and individuals is wonderful for it, uh, especially for us when a lot of us will use them with our mastiffs. Anyway, it's our chaff throwing out and eliminating their chaff it's not our big heavy line units getting out of shape so that's one of the other things about it and then if you also have golems that are shooting as well you know those mastiffs can be just enough to tip it over the edge to where you're actually clearing things out of your way from your main line so that's always always been I love mastiffs take them every time
1: yeah the guys covered it I don't leave home without them I'll bring as many as I can based on my army composition. And it's also why sometimes in my chaffs, I lean towards mastiffs over gargoyles because I like bringing necks to throw dogs. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of them. Huge fan of them.
2: Well, we should mention that this army is evil and it doesn't get really more evil than this, except for maybe, well, Forces of the Abyss maybe is more evil or twilight i guess evil is all about the perspective right but the fact that they're experimenting on other races and stuff it, it, you know it, it's pretty evil and they have slaves so it, it's uh certainly a, an evil army well let's get into the units uh we're going to start with the black souls which is an infantry unit uh, you know you, it's your stock standard infantry unit for the abyssal dwarves they come in troop regiment hordes one three four unit strength uh, attacks 10 12 25 10, 12, 14, 16, and 21, 23, which is a nice little, that's a good nerve right there. 75, 115, and 190. And they're defense five, which is which is great. Malay four, they're super swingy. When you're hitting on fours, there's going to be those times where you're like, wham, and you just do really good. And there's times that you're going to do average. We're at the mercy of the dice gods. A message we're going to, a refrain you're going to hear a lot, speed four, <laughs> right? Speed four. Uh, and, and let me ask you guys this. What are your thoughts on the fact that these guys, are actually bigger than the halflings, but the halflings are faster.
1: Their legs move faster. They're stubby. They have shorter stride, but their legs move faster. They <laughs> just—they're <laughs> they're just, they're just better cardiovascular shape than us dwarf. It's beneath their
2: dignity to move. Good call. Quickly. I like that aspect. The black souls—they march with some deterministic, uh, you know, some confidence, right, and some courage, and they're going to take the punch. I mean, Defense Five is great until they get charged with twelve inches. We're starting like the mountain halflings are like the wind. They do have the vicious special rule, which I can't tell you how disheartening it is when I see all those ones come up and I'm like, Brian, suck it. You didn't you didn't Oh, Vicious. Here it comes. Right. And and there's so many units in the Abyssal Dwarf army, you know, especially the ones with a lot of crushing where if you roll a one, it doesn't really matter. They're not going to roll a one again. That's really <laughs> so vicious is great in Malay uh, for the black souls. And like many of the standard infantry options, you can lower their defense to four and take a crushing strength one for four plus. And they do have the option for fiery bulwark gains the iron resolve special rule. When the units iron resolve is used, it can regain D three points of damage previously suffered instead of one, but it costs 10 points. That's, Seems pretty good. Are, well, let me ask you this: Are you guys running Black Souls? And if you are, what formation? And are you taking the Fire Bulwark? How you? How you? How are you? Are you guys running them? And, and how do you run them?
1: I've used them in lists this year. I've always run them with Horde, the Horde size, and I've always put Fire Bulwark with that that Plink Healing because I usually don't run a bunch of Healing in my list anyway. So being able to Iron Resolve back D three every time it, with that higher nerve, I'm usually able to Plink uh, stuff back. Uh I use them. But it was when it in, we'll talk about the formation later. I was using them heavily in hordes when I was using the formation because then you get a 190 point unit for with elite with the formation, which is very nice if you do a couple hordes of them. So you got two big hordes with elite ambitious. Gets pretty rough in the front line and they can survive it. But yeah, I've used them in lists and had some success. I like the unit, but I typically always run them in hordes when I've done it.
4: Yeah, uh, same for me, actually, uh, with Fiery Bulwark because I resolve. You know, just basically saying, hey, your shooting isn't really going to do anything here. You're going to have to come and hit this. Turns them into a bigger anvil for everybody. Just come and deal with this. I have not been running them for almost a full year because the last time I really ran them, I think, was at Depticon last year. But uh, but yeah, I mean, they're they're a great unit except for speed. As, as far as an anvil unit goes, especially in the formation, they tend to be pretty good
3: you know, I, and I would say I've always run them. I think when we get to talking about our army lists, maybe that'll make a little bit more sense because I'm running an infantry-heavy list. I think if you're running an infantry-heavy list, you got to have the horde unlocks, and that's a real challenge. And there's nothing better than the black souls with the fiery bulwark and horde if you're using that as your horde unlocks. And and I just would like to put a marker down. I think I must be misunderstanding the formation. So I'll be fascinated when we start to talk about the formation because I didn't realize, you know, what you guys are talking about. So that, that's
2: um, I, I, I'm gonna. I look forward to talking about the formation. Yeah, the formation has added benefits than than just what is going on in the formation because, like, the elite that's that we'll talk about the formation. The just, main yeah, it's it's the yeah. main reason to the take main it. Main reason to bring so it. You, to get, you order. get you know yeah. Well, let's let's jump to the next unit. We'll jump to Immortal Guard uh which is the similar to black souls but they're the 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 supreme black guard they're the best of the best of the best um very similar stat line but a couple important distinctions one is they hit on three plus but they're still speed four and defense five Uh, they don't come in a horde and they still have the same amount of attacks uh the other big thing is they're fearless dash 13 and dash 17 so remember. A troop of black souls is 10, 12 nerve. This is dash 13. So not only is it one more nerve for route, it's fearless. And the same with the uh, regiment, which is dash 17 versus 14, 16 with the black souls. Obviously you pay for that, but the real killer is regeneration five every week. Okay. If I charge these guys, and I don't kill them. He's got heal from other sources. He's got regen. Am I just wasting my time? Like if I don't kill them, are they just going to come back? And again, they have the vicious Malay. We, we should have mentioned, too, that Black Souls and Immortal Guard both have the Throwing Mastiffs option for 15 points. Very rarely do I see anybody not take the Throwing Mastiffs.
1: Always bring it.
2: He just bring 15 points. You got eight attacks, always hitting on fours. As long as you play them well so you don't end up in a situation where you're disordered every turn, they're going to be of value. So uh, who wants to talk about Immortal Guard? I take the formation, and so I always have to. I
3: actually, again, goes back to, as I was saying, I'm running an infantry-heavy army. I like the formation, obviously. I love the Infernox and in the in, in the elite. That that's all about the synergy that you're trying to get with that with that infantry heavy army. I think I think the Dash 17 is huge because I run them as in regiments. The, the one thing that's that's problematic is that when I run them as a formation, they're defense four and they can die pretty fast. the
1: main reason I stopped using the formation because I started getting, feeling like the points were too expensive for Marvel Guards and they would get knocked off the table and get – most of the, my players and opponents I was playing in the local meta would always focus and kill them because of the defense four. So I've kind of backed off that formation now because of that locally.
4: For me, I, I really like them, especially in the formation with uh, Inspiring and Furnox um, running run amok as well. But um, it's it's always hard for me as far as the, the points on them. Uh, they're very good, but they're so slow. It still comes down to – speed um yeah you're hitting on threes but you're only getting 12 attacks you really don't move fast enough to take advantage of a lot of flanks um so for a lot of units that have low attacks and hit really hard you maneuver you get into a flank and all of a sudden you're just killing things left and right these guys it's a lot harder to maneuver to a flank you can still do it but it's more it tends to be you have to open up things in the line to allow the flanks to occur Rather than you're maneuvering for a flank, and that's the problem with the the Immortal Guard at this point. I'd love to be able to take a horde of them and use them as an amble at some point, but obviously not an option.
2: <laughs> so because we really need to talk about the formation now, I think we're gonna we're gonna bring up the Infernox, which is a hero large infantry height three, speed five, melee three plus defense six plus. That's another theme we talked about, right? He's unit size one, and he is six attacks at dash 13, and 140 points. He comes with brutal crushing strength two, nimble thunder charge one. So that's essentially thunder two, crushing. One is a, is a legit threat. I, I know he only has a six attacks, but he's also defense six. So the risk is a little less defense six at dash 13. If you throw him in there and he doesn't, he, he can almost be a mini giant, right? He can go in there and maybe tie something up. And if he doesn't kill it, he probably will be around the next turn. Um, and then he also has Vicious Malay and Wild Charge D3. He speeds 6, so he's base of 12, but at D3 is at least 13 charge up to 15. So, wh- one of the things that I like in all my armies is to have multiple speeds so that I have threats. Abyssal Dwarves, historically, when I play against them, that's the one thing I can count against. Oh, you're speed 8. You're going to charge 8. You're going to charge 10. But the fact that you've got some random guys that are like, okay, well, I can hit you 15. It makes me think a little bit more than if I was playing a- not against the Infernox. Uh, But let's jump in and talk about the formation, because I think the formation, when used, busts out a lot of synergy for other units, right? So this is called the Dam Jaeger, and the big thing is you've got to take two regiments of Immortal Guard and one Infernox, and the cost is plus 35 points. I I think there's a penalty you take with it, but then you also get a really big boost. The penalty, in in some ways, is going to be the Immortal Guard, the two regiments. Have to lower their defense to four to take the extra crushing. There's gotta be a cost and benefit here, right? But the big piece is that the Infernox gains inspiring, which is big because now you now you've got another defense six 40 millimeter base source of inspiring, but aura elite malay infantry only. So that's your black souls, that's your berserkers, right? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it's not just giving elite to what's in the formation, but anybody else. You know, if you're going to take something that has an aura that's hitting on a keyword to get the best bang for your buck, you got to lean into that keyword. We're going to get to Kelly's list. It sounds like Kelly's probably is leaning into that. For me, the the big
4: things are you you get the inspiring on the Infernox, they can kind of be a, a good solid corner. They're giving elite to everything that's infantry anyway which is always great. For me, the big one is you're losing the, the defense. And and in my list, you'll see it later. But that was the one that kind of became you're, you're forced to take the crushing and, and lose the defense. Uh, that's the only detriment to it, I think, uh, as Rob pointed out. But uh, it's really effective, especially with elite. I mean, elite and vicious is what everybody would love to have all the time, right? These guys have it. And and they can give it to any infantry that are close enough. So it's kind of a, a big deal for this formation in your army and if Kelly, if you're doing the infantry the way i think you are it's going to be a really really good thing for you that's why i figure i'll just put that in and then you can finish off with that
3: well I'll, I'll just say that for me at least I, I again when we talk about our list i've gone all in i have a healthane and i buy the upgrade so that i get the aura of wild charge for i think dwarfs only or elite or infantry only. infantry only you got it but it's plus two but it's plus two. Yeah, these guys are going ten, right? They're not going eight on the charge, and it all makes a difference. I I just feel like I, I don't know whether I can make it work, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. It is going all in on the on the idea. And another thing, another trick I do, and I think it's a great trick, is by is by the sacred horn for the infernox, right? Get the nine inch lead. I mean, again, you're just going all in on the theory. I I think uh, you, I think one of the biggest challenges that abyssal dwarfs have is that. In many types of armies, they're going to be counter punching, and that's what makes the going down to defense four so problematic, because you've now you know this unit, which has got a lot of points into it, is going to be hit first. And are you going to be able to make them stay alive, or are they going to lose? In the yeah, the formation
1: ch- forces you to chaff up your mortar guards. So you have, to, you have to babysit them and escort them so they don't get taken out first. Because if you don't, everybody I play plicks them up. Because if I have a whole defense six anvil line and I got my mortar guards trying to cause problems, guess what they're going to charge? Because I'm so slow, I can't stop it. So they're coming at that unless I chaff it up.
2: We'll take a look at the final infantry list in the Abyssal Dwarfs, Abyssal Berserkers. Historically, this is not a unit that's gotten any play. But with some of the changes, and Kelly hit on some of those, <laughs> that, that Hellfane now... We may see more of these guys, right? And so this is a Speed 5 unit, Malay 3+. plus. The the negative is they're a Berserker unit, so they're going to be Defense 3. They come as troops and regiments, uh, 12 attack and 15 attack, 13 dash and uh, dash 17 regiment. And uh, they've got Crushing Strength 1, Vicious Malay, and Wild Charge D3. That's where that elfane 2... So now you're charging a maximum of 15... That is not what we normally see out of dwarves. So if you couple that with some of your other faster units, like the Abyssal half or or Gargoyles or whatever, like you, you're going to give you you have the ability that coupled with surge ability, right? Some of your units that can move up and surge in, you've got some crazy different angles and some different speeds to make your opponent really think. Um, but they also have this is another one that's interesting. I've played it against it a few times. It's situational. So I, I, I love to get your take on it, but upgrade with slaver nets. You have ensnare versus infantry and having infantry only for five or 10 points. It's kind of counterintuitive to me because ensnare is a counter dynamic, right? You take the punch, you, you're, you know, I threw cow chips or something and now you're minus one to hit me. I got nets, whatever, and you're minus one. And then I punch you back. But because these missiles are so fast, I don't know if they're counter punching. So, you know, Maybe talk to me. It's 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 five points for the trooper, ten points for the horde. But that seems like a steal for it, for for its snare. But obviously, it's only against infantry or heavy infantry. And and if you're, like I played my opponent and I had all mounted uh orc list, nothing in the list was going to be affected. He didn't know that going in. So maybe talk to me about abyssal berserkers. Are you, are you guys trying them? Are you making them work? What what are you? How do they fit in your current lists today?
1: But I can tell you right now, I, I've made some lists that I haven't put on the table constructed with the Hellfane, similar to what Kelly's talking about. I've constructed those lists. I haven't played them. And the only experience I've had with the Berserkers is playing Taylor, who's a local guy who's trying out a similar list with those units, but I have personally don't have much experience with that unit.
4: I've only used them in games twice a couple of years ago, so it's a little bit old, but um, for me, it's uh, that, that- you got to throw them in, and yet they have the snare, so it's kind of a weird mix. But what gets the problem for me is now you have a health fan, you can add a lot of things to it, but you have to keep them close. You can't get enough of them out there to really turn the tide. Because they're defense three, they're just you know basically glass cannon, little glass cannon units that aren't as effective as some of our other glass cannons uh, in the end, and that's part of the problem for them and in order to make them really effective you have to pretty much run what three hellfanes that are running out there handing them out well then being cheap low defense units goes away because now i'm buying so much support for them that it doesn't make it worthwhile and only one of your
2: hellfanes can have the plus two
4: correct yeah but i mean it's it's the only thing that you can kind of do to to do it you're gonna have to chaff them up as well or do something else with points to make them more effective because they can't do enough, you can't get enough units that have the extra range to turn a tide unless it's in a flank on something really important. And then on top of that, so many armies nowadays have, are going for square bases or large monsters, your snare does nothing to them. So you're basically just a speed bump on their way to kill something that's really expensive and important to me. Throwing out Mastiffs' chaff is, is much cheaper than throwing out Berserkers as chaff. So if you aren't using them as a, an attacking force, then they aren't really worth it. And most people are having a hard time finding that. And maybe Kelly's having luck with them, but from the shaking of his head, I don't think even he's making it work. Well, I am enjoying it not working.
3: How
1: <laughs> about that? that, that? I mean, it's players.
4: gonna be absolutely fun to scream at your opponent as you're going down, like, uh, you know, break hard. Uh, but I just don't see enough of them turning the getting there at the speed to turn the tide
3: without getting decimated in the end. I will say one thought that I had, I played a game this weekend and I've been playing with a regiment of them, as I said, because I'm running an infantry heavy force and because they do give the ability to reach out and touch somebody because I do have the hell fame with the upgrade. And this uh, opponent of mine said, well, you know, if you thought about running them as troops, they're not that expensive. And then they actually do become sort of chaff and um, at 105. And so I think I'm going to experiment with that because They they actually hit pretty hard. It may fall into the category of thick chaff. The challenge is whenever you're running auras, you got to keep everything in a tight ball and it gets hard. And what I have found consistently is I can start in a tight ball, but as soon as it turns into a fur ball, I'm all over the place. Yeah. Right. And then I've lost my auras. But then everybody runs into that problem. But I, I think the thing about the slaver nets, I don't understand it. I don't think it works, right? It's not a good buy. I, it, it was a bad upgrade in the book as far as I'm concerned. But I do think that ability to go
2: out to 15 inches in my list makes them worthwhile in some form. All right. Well, next up, we have heavy infantry. We're going to start with uh, slave orcs. They are irregular. Uh, they're heavy infantry. They're height 2, speed 5, melee 4, defense 4. Troop Regiment and Horde, 1, 2, 3, Unit Strength, Attacks, 10, 12, 25, Nerve, 8, 10, 12, 14, 19, 21, and uh, 60, 95, and 155, Crushing Strength, 1, and the keyword Orc and Slave. I don't know about you guys, I used to see these guys all the time back in 2nd Edition, and I don't know what's changed, I think maybe you just got better options, but I don't see them anymore. Are you guys playing Slave Orcs? I haven't used them in one game since I've started.
3: That I think I've decided that they're not good to bring. So um, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I was bringing two troops, um, and I was using them as chaff. Again, I've got an infantry-heavy army. The Helfane, the health the upgrade affects them also because the Helfane upgrade is uh, infantry only, and so that means they're charging twelve inches. But I found what was really problematic, and kind of why my opponent this last weekend suggested the troops of berserkers is the waiver. It's really pretty remarkable because I'm putting them out as a meat shield, right? And inevitably one of them's going to get freaking wavered by by shooting. And then all of a sudden my whole plan goes to pieces, right? And the funny thing about it is is with an eight ten, mathematically, I think, you know, your sort of average shooting is getting them in right, right in the sweet spot on two six-sided dice to waver you get three or four hits, right? Then all of a sudden you're looking at, you're down to a four, which means it's not that hard to waver them between eight and 10. Because I always thought, oh, they're just going to die, but they don't die. They waver. That's kind of why I was thinking, well, you know, if I'm going to run this meat shield idea, the abyssals are better because they don't waver. And that's when you want a counter punch, and you have an opportunity with abyssals, you got to be able to jump on it because otherwise you're you're, you're going to, you're going to miss that.
1: Yeah, yeah, to your point, that's why I've thought about, i put them in lists, experimenting and ideas, and I always go back to throw uh, mutated masses with a throwing massive for 80 points. And then they, they're only D2, so typically when they hit, they get hit, they die, and they get out of my way so I can counterpunch back. So that's why I've kind of never ran them. And if I would, I would do like you. It'd be troop-heavy chaff to see if it would work that way. But I, I haven't had much experience with them. But that's just the thoughts I've had when I looked at them.
4: For me, I think part of it, Rob, is we used to have see them all the time um, I know I've played against them. Uh, and Kelly brings up the point. Basically, if you use them as a frontline chaff, I mean, they're your slaves. You're throwing them out there to take all the damage and get, you know, take all the hits before we, we come in as the masters and, and take care of things. The problem is they don't die and get out of the way. And you have too many problems getting to grips with what you need to hit. with the, the units that you want to hit with, if you're going to take them, it's almost better to just throw them all on a flank so they're either own, but then they don't have enough, you know, nerve to stick around or protect the flank really even. So you're basically just throwing them out there; it'll be wasted chaff, you know, in a way. Uh, in my opinion, anyway, they're good and cheap, but they have the the drawback of of not dying quick enough to get out of my way in mass. If you take four troops and spread them out, one of your units is going to be wavered at some point, and so much of how I play the, the the Abyssal Dwarves is a battle line moving forward slowly, inevitably, like a landslide, because I don't have another, any other hope in some of these missions of getting across the table. You know, I can't hold up a turn or three in some of these missions. I have to get across the line as soon as possible. And more than likely, my opponent's going to beat me over the line and I'm going to have to fight through to get to the line. I can't have the units sitting in front of my line causing problems where... I can't get through to them. Uh, And that that's why I don't tend to take them anymore. Uh, Or I I don't think you see too many people do them. I'd much rather have Mastiffs that are defense too, that, you know, they hit them with five hits. They're pretty much going away. They're not, you know, and of course every tournament, I have Mastiffs waiver right in my way, but (laughs) of course we've all been there. It's the same thing. It's just more painful with the Orcs than it is with the Mastiffs and the Mastiffs can shoot with uh, the throwing Mastiffs. And you know, they're, they're moving six. So even if they do waver, I may be able to get somewhat more out of the way. You know, not, not always, but maybe I can get slide over three inches instead of two and a
2: half. And now, now I have room to maneuver. The way I look at chaff, there's three things. It needs to be cheap. It needs to be fast and it needs to be fearless typically want it to be two of those three things and in this case it's only one it's cheap i wouldn't use this chat because the last thing you want is it to get wavered that's worse in many ways than dying the only way i would maybe use these is maybe as just like a couple cheap one unit strength one backboard behind the woods holding a token or something they're defense four you could probably do the same thing with troops of something else like black souls but then you're paying more points and I always hate paying a lot of points for just unit strength. That's not going to do anything other than be unit strength their defense four, So a little bit more resilient than like a lot of defense three chaff and they do have the crushing one. So if you do get into them, I know in a troop, they only have the 10 attacks, but they have crush issues one.
1: Yeah, and to Blake's point about a lot of scenarios for us, if you get one waiver in the wrong part of your line, you can't get to where you need to score because you've lost the whole turn. That's a very key point because I've run into that often with that waiver.
4: When you come into a point where you're thinking about turning 90 degrees and giving your flank to your opponent so it makes sure he kills that unit out of your way,
2: you probably didn't spend the points right. When I play Brian, that's my goal. How can I smuck him up? By just wavering and tie him up. He does it all the time to me. He's already slow. And if he's got to get his own units out of his way, that's an extra couple turns he's yeah. got to deal with. Like
4: I said, alone, that's it. That's the only reason they they're even worth at contemplating as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they're
2: 60 points in a troop is pretty cheap. And they're, they're 810 because they're 60 points, right? So yeah. the gargoyles now, that's also heavy infantry. And this is the one that historically we've seen a lot of use of in terms of chaff. And again, they're fast. And I would argue they're not that expensive at 85 points, but let's get into them. They're heavy infantry speed 10, which is big in a list that let's be honest, you don't have a lot of flyers. Uh, They're Malay four plus their defense three troop is, you know, they only come as a troop unit strength, one 10 attacks, eight, 10 nerve and 85 points. But fly and nimble is a big deal in this list. When I said speed in terms of chaff, also it's really great when you have nimble speed. Ogres love scouts. Speed 10 with nimble. Yeah, I'm gonna. I don't even want to charge you. I'm gonna go right into, into between your two hordes and I'm gonna put it right there. And neither one can get around me. So, yeah, you're gonna kill those that 100 point unit, but I'm gonna get you on the next turn. Gargoyles are great. And we didn't even mention they're four plus regen. So, deceivingly resilient. Talk to me about gargoyles, guys. I, I used to see them a lot, I'm seeing less of them.
1: My current list, I have a couple of troops of them. I like to use them against other slow armies to threaten flanks because a gargoyle can f- threaten the flanks of their army if they're slow because, you know, 20 attacks in the side hitting on fours can hurt. And so I use them a lot like that. But I'm also, a, a, you, as you probably already know, my list is golem heavy. And i if there's not a lot of shooting on the table or if there is a lot of shooting, I'll hide them behind my golems and then march it with my line and then jump them out and the width of their base with a certain angle and pivot with the nimble, you can block two or three troops from about to charge in, clog up the lanes, get behind and then counter is what I use them for. But I typically always have at least a couple of troops on my list.
3: I think they're perfect, Jeff. I mean, I think I, if not perfect, near perfect, Jeff. And I think that ability because they fly to jump out out of your lines is the way you protect them. You put them behind your infantry. You put them behind your golems. You put them behind something. It's hard for me to see much other use for them. I mean, it's interesting. You know, I I, I get Brian's point about putting them on the flank because, frankly, you almost have nothing else that you that gives this same capability in the army. But they are the best chaff that the
2: army has for sure. I I think, think. one of the other things that guard girls let you do is because deployment is so important for you guys. You can throw those guys out early, and because they're nimble, speed ten. You can get them, like, if you put them somewhere with the intention of they're not going to be there when the game's, you know, after turn one, right? They're going to be moving somewhere else. That's the one unit you could throw out early to kind of just, here's my here's my deployment for one unit, and you can redeploy them relatively
1: quickly. I do that often against other low drop armies. I'll stick them way off on the side, then I can pivot them and put them where I want them.
2: Put them behind woods, somewhere they're absolutely not going to be seen. If you don't kill them, they're probably going to be around.
1: They're, they're uh... A great
4: unit, I tend to use them off on the flank so that I can threaten to flank something that's on my opponent's center to the flank. Something over there, hey, they're on my flank, I can flank you if you get stuck in with my golem, say. Just to push it over the edge and get me to kill off a horde uh, when I need it. But I tend to use that as the reserve move because I think it's kind of, as soon as you commit them, they're going to go away. They're they're definitely a a chap unit that's going to die. As far as I almost always start them off out of line of sight from whatever I can do because they just get lightning or shot off if you don't. Um, but if somebody shoots them once and then doesn't continue killing them, you're darn right. They're still going to be around at the end of the game and they're going to go off and claim an objective or claim something or, or come in on somebody's rear at some point during the game and make a difference. So my hope is they do one wound, they waver it so I can go hide. And then they forget about the unit. You know, for me, it's I use them a lot even in reserve where I just leave them in the background, moving them from side to side to where they can get to an objective at the end of the game. But their opportunity, if if they get a flank or they get a rear charge, then they come in. But other than that, I don't really want to commit them too much. I prefer the chaff to be my masters, which we'll talk about in a bit. But that's just me uh, as far as that goes. They're great chaff. They're well worth the points. Sure, I'd love their nerve to be a little bit higher. Well it used
2: to be, right? They lowered it down, right? They they lowered it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that for me that's that's there. for us it's the one unit we can recuperate our deployment mistake with. It is the only unit we can recuperate our deployment mistake with. Uh with the bisons wars, I don't know, 60% of the time you're losing to a deployment mistake.
1: Yep, and when you play it against Rob and he's got the D3 redeploy. Yeah. From yeah. the captain of the, <laughs> I
2: can I love that against Brian. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. yeah, so so you
4: commit, you have your perfect thing, and then he changes the alignment on you, and now, now you're toast. I'm toast. Yeah, I love gargoyles. Um, I used to take two of them. Now I only take one because uh, I still want to have the one unit. Um, and then I have, oh, uh, the other thing is occasionally they set up a legion of chariots, throw them out there, sacrifice them, put them two inches away from those chariots so they're not moving, and then I arrange it so I can hit them You know the next turn but that's the only time i tend to use them as chaff and once again it's coming in from either the back line or the flank flying right in front of that unit and just sitting there and that's to
1: stop somebody it sounds like you and i play them very similarly that's kind of how i use them as well
4: yeah yeah that's i mean for that role there's nothing better um for the
2: and especially for the points People forget they have 10 attacks. So, a lot of like the nimble chaff is like seven attacks. This has got 10. I know they hit on fours. You know, Brian's hit me in the flank and I'm like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, 20 attacks hitting on fours. That's 10 hits.
1: Yeah, 10 hits.
2: Even at defense five, you're going to do some wounds. And if it, and it can be that, that extra thing that puts you over the top when you hit, you're hitting multi, you know, multi charge that, that target and you got gargoyles in the flank, there's a couple extra wounds there that you weren't mathematically thinking about. And then Brian reminds you, know, that's 20 attacks to the flank. It's like S20 in the flank, man. Or, or a real heavy war engine. He's like, yeah, it's 30 attacks, bro.
1: They'll do sneaky damage if you forget about that. And you can get in the flanks, or you can, like you said, as a multi charge to just make sure it pushes it over the edge.
4: That is another thing they're good at. If you can get somebody who doesn't think about them, doesn't line their war machines correctly, and you can get to a flank and then kind of sneak behind them where they're not shooting you. If they can shoot you, they're gone. You know, they're just going to shoot those cargoes away. But if they can't shoot you, then you hit them in the in the you know in the war machines take thirty I'm gonna kill this
1: war machine that same war machine is not hitting my golems with Pierce three if they weren't about me threatening that plane
2: correct with the changes to cover ignoring obscured has become much more relevant those are typically going to be indirect weapons that's a great piece of chaff that can get into that twelve inch bubble now you can't shoot me anyways yep you got to play with it smart though eight ten nerve gotta leave them protected and you gotta pop them out at the right time well with that let's get into range infantry.
1: The first up, we got Decimators. They're speed four, like the rest of everything we use. Uh, melee four, range four, D4. They come in troop regiments and hordes. 10, tw- 12, and 25 attacks. And then 10, 12, 14, 16, and 21, 23 nerve. Uh, they got 12 inch steady aim, pierce one, uh, ra- vicious range, which I love. I never use the upgrade, but it has the upgrade to, uh, you can use a single range attack.
2: The mobile Catachan.
1: and it's a it's a range twenty four attack three range well, hit on fours blasty three indirect reload with vicious for twenty points. I never have a list without a horde of these, and also with blessing of the gods. I don't leave home without them.
2: Well, blessing of the gods is great for a unit that has a lot of shooting attacks because it's the one of those artifacts that are going to help you in melee and in shooting.
1: And so, as you can tell, it gets really expensive when you add that. It's a 295-point unit. But I tend to hold them in behind my golems and have a split. So, I'll do checkerboard with a, with a gap between my golems so I can march my lineup and shoot through as stuff comes in. And then it's my late-game cleanup. Basically, once the board starts cleaning out, you can pivot, shoot, pivot, shoot, because they're steady aim. And you can control a big swat special like, dominate or, or invade where you can control the center of the board with them. I love them. I think they're invaluable.
4: How tight is your checkerboard? Are you leaving the small gap, or are you leaving the golems pretty wide?
1: I leave the golems wide enough where maybe a fifty mil can get through, but not more than one, so you can't multi charge through. And if they get, if they're bold enough to do that, then I typically use my greater golems to do it, and then I can pivot surge into flanks and crush whatever tries to come get me. Is how I typically play. You have problems with shooting through through the unit for cover i typically i would probably say covers 50 percent of the time unfortunately because it does cause me some cover early game late game when the board starts to clear out then it just rakes up the center of the board yeah okay okay i, I was just curious it does it does give some cover problems
4: is the cover damage with the range i mean it doesn't matter first turn probably nothing's in range but after that as you're moving forward on your battle line i always found the shooting through things like that and cover is bad
1: Oh, it, it does cause me some issues in in the early game, uh, in the early game until it clears out. I've always had success in the late game to clean it up because I find they'll start triple charging into my golems and pop a golem, and then if they do that, whatever's there is dying. Yeah. Because I have 25 shots, vicious range, it's dead. Whatever's there. Yeah, okay. That's kind of what I've been using them for. Maybe not right, but that's how I've always learned. I have I found it worked for me.
2: They're also defense four, right? And, and that's a big thing for a shooter, right? They're, they're not like bowmen that are going to take attrition as quickly. I mean, defense four is a little bit more stout.
1: And it's a unit your opponent has to worry about. They aren't terrible. And I mean, they aren't elite or
2: anything like that, but you know, well, what... if you need fives to wound. It's nice to have vicious, right? Yes.
3: You know, I, I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to know whether Blake, whether you bring them and, and here's why I, I don't bring them. Now, my guess is, is I don't bring them because I'm not a very good player. But I really didn't think about I never thought about playing them in the back line. And so what would happen to me is I'm playing them in my battle they get line. Picked off first. Exactly. They get they get they get one shot off and then they're charged, right? And I'm going, so what's the use I of it? I play with the
1: second line and it works fantastic.
3: The only thing I've done besides uh I've tried the second
4: line and I had I kept on running into that problem. Um I tried with just dogs in front of them and everybody kept shooting them anyway, even with cover. Um, so that's why I was asking him about the checkerboard with cover because the golems are the only thing you can really use to protect them that you can move, you know, as far as that goes. Um, they're taller, bigger, give everybody cover to them. You're limiting in their effect. Um, I've actually used them on a flank when I have terrain in the past and hide them in terrain or hide them behind terrain until stuff's close enough for it to matter. But I've never really had much success with them in my battle line. And that's why I was asking him about. How does he deal with the cover? And it makes sense for late game. I, I get that part. But for me, it was always, I'm I'm clunking up my, yeah, I'm protecting myself, but I'm clunking up my output as well. And so that's why I could never find that good balance. Maybe with uh, graders, it might actually make more sense because then they're they're easier to get out of the way, smaller to get out of the way. But uh, I, I tried it with Golem units and I kept them running into that problem where I just never had any shots. So I never came up with a way to make them worthwhile. So I was in the same boat as you, Kelly. So that's, You know, they're a great unit. They're awesome. But at the same time, it's just how you, what I've developed in my army list, I don't tend to use them anymore.
2: As I am on the receiving end of that volley, often when they are shooting, they're shooting stuff that had to get, grind through your front line. So I'm not, I'm not unscathed, right? I've got, I've got 10 damage. And so when he picks the target, he usually picks it up, right? So if something's come, something does break through the line, they're like, oh my gosh, the the first man through is always the most bloodiest, right? And then those guys are in the back to go, no one gets away from the abyssal dwarves and they take me off the table.
1: Typically turns four to six. Typically turns four to six if I didn't get outflanked and I've been able to control the board and stay alive long enough, which you know we all have that problem. If I'm around turn four to six and I'm still competitive, I'm picking off a, a major unit a turn easily with those guys like especially with blessing. Especially with blessing, because I always run them with, with elite and vicious, So I'm gonna wound the hell out of anything I run.
2: Into. The other item that works on these guys is brew haste.
1: Yes, I also tried that before.
2: Being able to give them the extra movement and get up there and shoot is you know i mean it it doesn't sound like much but speed four is slow really really slow
1: how about you tell the dwarf players how slow it is we all yeah I, yeah you're <laughs> right I,
2: everybody <laughs> listening to this already knows right it's slow plus
4: with haste they get to keep up with the golems right
2: <laughs> does somebody want to take us through uh swarms and the muted uh, mastiff hunting pack
4: so basically we have mutated massive hunting pack there are speed six yahoo speed melee four, defense only two um We'll talk about why that's not a bad thing here in a minute. Their uh, unit strength 1, 9 attacks, 10-12 nerve. They are only 65 points. They still uh, have crushing strength against cavalry, which can come in handy. And uh, they still have vicious. And they can also buy puppies to throw at you. So we have puppies who can throw puppies. And uh, they're my chosen chaff for everything. You can use these in several different ways as chaff. Run them in front of things and let them die. I run into wavering issues at times. I've used them as corner flankers, as chaff, so I can get them out of the way easier and quicker. Um, I start them behind my golems first turn so they aren't shut off, or shot off, and then move them in front of the golems on the corners, and then I can hopefully pick something off as key point. Hey, there's an individual who came too close. I'm going to throw both units at him, and uh, maybe shoot him with another unit and hopefully kill off a character or two, or a chaff unit or whatever. Um, you do have to concentrate that firepower, but these are the chaff that we have that are that play that role the best, in my opinion. Um, you can even use them on flanks as well to surprise some people coming around and doing some things. You can't forget the cavalry. The crushing strength in cavalry doesn't seem like much. I mean, it's only crush one. It's the only thing they do it to, but I think even in Rob, our game, that we played in michigan gt it was big my hitters are the knights yeah and i got a flank charge with these guys on your knights, and they did just enough wounds to make that unit go away and that's that's how you use these guys mid-game or late game uh assuming they haven't been just killed off by everybody and strangely enough like the gargoyles their unit a lot of people they damage and then they like, oh i'll pick i'll pick them off later and then they forget because um, we make them concentrate on other things, and then that allowed me, or allows you sometimes to get those cavalry charges in. That, to me, always take the, the Mastiffs, the throwing Mastiffs, always take them. It, it does make the unit 80 points, but worth every every point.
1: Yeah, I don't start a list without two or three swarms of them. And I typically, I actually started just recently, I run this almost like a battle group with my two Immortal Guards. With Chaff and the Immortal Guards, I have four dogs as a concentrated cannon, so I can wanna get my deliver my mortal guards up to get into attacking range while throwing dogs, clearing out a path. It's worked really well for me. So I love these, this unit. It's, it's a must unity clue in my opinion.
3: I mean, all I would say is I think they're really, I mean, they're, they're really good at what they're supposed to do. I actually, I've, I've, I've brought them about 50% of the time. Uh, and um and you know maybe I should be bringing. Them you
2: can off. spam these guys. You could so, so the, there. I've seen dirty lists that are similar in the dwarfs that would work here for abyssals, where you literally could take a dozen of these. That'd
1: be a lot of throwing dogs.
2: <laughs> all chaff. It's all shooting. It's all bad. It's all not fun to play. It would probably be competitive in a lot of scenarios or a lot of situations. So the no
1: sports vote list. That's
2: right. That's right.
4: By the time you throw that thirty second mascot at somebody, they're going to be flipping out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I played against a dwarf version, right, where they've got like. 60 dogs or 80 dogs it's like oh my god we hit on it early right these do not take the penalties that everything else has and yes they're not all going to get in but what does get in has a really nasty bite and it's going to take the bite on stuff that you didn't expect to lose like your key hero your chaff it's you know it's going to pick off the easy easy targets
1: funny story i played a local guy matt wiseman who plays a uh, eod and he brought his Bone Giant in too close. And I had six throwing dogs at, within range. I popped his Bone Giant turn one with throwing dogs.
4: One thing I did forget to mention, I think, is that they are swarms and not cavalry, which makes a big difference. The other big thing is they are only height one. So everything else can see through them or over them uh, for charges and or shooting. But still, a lot of our infantry can get cover from them. In certain situations, you can kind of play with them and hide even golems in a hill, uh, depending upon situation that's very situational but it is something you can do
1: well the height one's key too because we have a lot of shooting in our areas and the groups we play so you can hide your masters behind your infantry line yeah. and they can't see them unless they're on a hill yeah. so you can get them in and jump them out it's very useful as well because yeah. of that height one
4: yeah that's why i always start them behind my golems at the beginning of the game you know because that way hey, nobody's seeing them back there they're yeah. hidden
1: yeah
2: i mentioned earlier chaff you know you wanted to be fast you want them to be cheap or you want to be fearless this one's cheap Right, and you could argue in the context of missile dwarfs, they're fast at six, right? But they're also defense two. They will consistently die, right? Part, which is they, they are not going to be the ones that get out there and get wavered typically, right? Because at defense two, everything is going to wound. Any hits are going to get through, and it, it, they're going to die a little more. Which is what you. I mean, I mean, it depends on the play style, but I like my chaff to die when I'm supposed to die.
4: I mean, it's an occasional three or snakes that causes these guys to waver. It's, it doesn't tend to be anything else. Um, if somebody breathes on them, they have four wounds on them. So they tend to just go away. So that's exactly what I want them to do when uh, when it's time to get out of my way of my
2: golems. I want them out of my way. Well, let's get into cavalry. Does anybody want to take us through half-breeds?
3: Yeah, I'll, I'll take us through.
2: So they're, they're speed eight,
3: melee three-plus, and defense four-plus. Uh, and uh, you've got either troop or regiments, uh, unit strengths one and three. Uh, they've got eight attacks if a troop and 16. The regiment nerve is 11, 13, or 14, 16. Uh, and, um, you know, they come with Crush One, Regen Five Plus, Thunderous One, but they also have Fury, which came in at the in 2002's book, uh, and um, Vicious Melee, of course, because everything basically has Vicious Melee. They're an interesting, you know, it's an interesting unit to compare against the abyssal grotesques, I think. And and maybe when we get to the grotesque, or maybe we can even just go straight to the grotesque and talk about them. Because I think they're using similar, they're, you're going to use them for similar purposes. At least I've used them for similar purposes. And so obviously they're an obvious comparison. I think they're good. I like them. De- defense 4, uh, Brian is shaking his head no, but Defense 4 is a big hit, right? Defense more 4 means they... They're, they're verging on glass cannon status. They do hit, I'm going to go on and do the com- comparison, Rob. I, I mean, they do hit on threes versus fours with as the grotesques. They have 16 attacks versus 18 attacks on the grotesques. I mean, frankly, three versus four and 16 versus 18, you're getting darn close to the same same thing. Uh, they, you know, interesting comment from me, at least, is they sit on a slightly smaller base. Right, because they're calve bases and smaller, more attacks and a smaller base is better.
2: <laughs> That's a piece 25 millimeters smaller. So you got That's 150 right. wide, whereas these are 125 wide, which may not sound a lot, but in Kings of War, it does come down to math.
1: Well, as Rob can uh, attest to, I don't play with a ton of CAV in Abyssal Dwarf. I haven't played a ton because I don't have a ton painted. So I haven't, I've used them in blank bases with test lists and I've tried this unit a decent amount. My my thing with this, I think we're getting penalized for the D4 for the regen, but because they're so soft, the regen never comes into play, so they just get popped off the table. So when I played with them as a newer player, I felt like I had to babysit them way too much to keep them alive to get them in to hit something, and it just wasn't worth my mental effort. I didn't, I didn't find them useful for my play style because of that. They just kept getting – the players that know what they do will target them and pop them off the table, and the regen doesn't play a part.
2: A lot of people compare them to cavalry right? And they're going to go, oh, they're defense four, right? You've got other stuff that makes them still good. The big one is obviously crushing strength one and thunder one versus just thunder two. So even on the counterplay, you still have some effect. You know, you're still going to be knocking on that defense. Fury shouldn't be understated, right? If you get in the, I mean, I, I, it's that terrible waiver in combat. You're like, oh, and then fury will keep you in it. Uh, being able to counter charge in melee when wavered. Regen five, to your point, they're defense four. So, I mean, that helps with maybe some light shooting on the way in. But, you know, at a 14-16 nerve, yeah, it's a little tough. The, the vicious Malay and the crushing one thunder one, I mean, that's where I think it really helps the fact that it gives them a little more punch, right? Uh, but, you know, it's 195 points. And honestly, if it was me. You know, I mean, it's a, we're going to talk about Grotesque next, but it's a little faster than Grotesque. But man, if these were speed nine, at the end of the day, they're the same speed as other cavalry, which means, unless there's a chaff game, I mean, it's, it's a trade off of who's going to get the first punch. And if they don't get the first punch, to you guys' point, they might not be there in the next round because, you know, Cali said it best. They're, they're almost, they're, they're like a quasi class hammer, right? A defense four and only 16 nerve. And you guys don't have the ability to add any rally on these guys.
4: I actually think they're. I think they're fully a glass cannon, in my opinion, um, because everybody knows what they do. Everybody knows what the range is. Everybody can time off to get their shots to you. If you're not shot off first turn or second turn as you're moving towards things, you know you might take out a unit, but then you have so much that they're going to take you out. Your regen is supposed to save you, but so often they're hitting you and wavering you um, because you're only at a fourteen. Well, now yeah. I'm not advancing, so I'm sitting there to get shot another turn. So now I've taken two turns of shots and more than likely dead. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the I'll... official champion, completely different. We'll get to him later, but it, it hit him. I have no problem with him taking things on all day long. But these guys, as soon as they got out in the open, they're shot away, wavered and killed, or you know, they they they're. A glass cannon, they're wonderful to charge across, hit somebody, especially if you can pick a horde off on a flank, that type of thing. But you're going to die
2: shortly thereafter because everybody is going to key off on you. They're situational, but like if you can find the opportunity where you can just stand at 16 inches away from somebody that's not going to be shooting you, and even if you have some light shooting that maybe the regen keeps you in it, it's almost like this they're your counterplay units. But the reality is in Kings of War today, it's all about speed, a lot of it, right? And so there's probably going to be something that's faster, you know, or even wh- sometimes worse, exactly the same speed. And we just move up, but, but, but like, but maybe that unit is defense five, right? Or defense six. It's like, all right, go ahead, charge me. Because you're going to die in the counter charge. You know, so it's a, uh, it is a it's a difficult unit to use. I know you know Jake Sharapika from the East Coast uh, used to use these to very good effect, but in third edition, I haven't seen them as much. And I, you know maybe maybe you know I, it's interesting because did their points go down? Because every other knight night I'm air quoting their unit went down by like five points.
1: They dropped with the twenty twenty two. They had five points. They were two hundred, but still
2: at one ninety five. Are they better than the knights at, at one ninety in the Kingdom of a men list? I don't think so. Those are headstrong. It's different than Fury, right? I don't know. As long as you're all three plus, it's better than few. Exactly, exactly. You can't even bring these in multiples
1: because then you just have three last cannons that die. That's what I found is so expensive. You commit the points, they shot off turn one, and I, and we are already struggling for unit. Drops. Well, and if I throw through units, they get blasted off turn one, then all of a sudden I'm at a huge disadvantage.
2: Let no. me throw this out there. Jeff Trace, great player from the Australian scene, runs Varungar and heaps his Knights as a second line. They're there to pick off whatever got through. Is that a possibility? You got these guys hanging in the back? And it's sort of like it's sort of like the decimators. When something busts through, they're already dinged up. These guys come flying in.
1: But at that point, you've got a, a speed eight unit hanging by a fine a four speed line, waiting for turn four or five to do something. And again, so it's I don't I would struggle with that person. I mean, what
2: you're saying is this is a counterpunching army, and this is not a counterpunching unit. Correct.
4: We've Got the same problem as the grotesque do. When when I'll talk about grotesque as well. Great unit on paper, wonderful unit on paper. But every time I take them, everybody keys off on them and kills them because they are similar i mean they're a little bit better in that their defense five regen is only five so they're going to survive to get to regen more often but normally they're so wounded and they don't get as many wounds back as the half breeds do so then the next turn they're hit they're decimated you know what i mean the, the grotes are taken off the board and everybody keys off on them because they are you know crush one thunderous two they want to strip that thunderous they want to do whatever they can to get rid of that you know and and make it hard for you hide behind train whatever you know all the situational things everybody do to limit the grotesques but then they die too
1: yeah i I think i think it boils down to our speed problem yeah we only have so many things that are fast enough to threaten people so when they see us drop it on the table target number one
4: and the the best unit to hide half breeds behind would be golems because they're height four and they hide them completely but then you're behind defense six stuff that you know, may or may not go away when you need it to go so that you have the ability to hit as many different targets as you want. So you would have to expose yourself the turn before to shooting more than, more than likely, and that's the the problem with them. You know, they get locked behind things if you try to do them in a second line, I think.
3: Two thoughts I'll throw out for for everybody. One of them is is that I kind of ran onto this when I was trying to design the most recent army I was doing. It's It's unlocks, right? I will mention that if you're not pulling, if you're not bringing golems, that the grotesques is a good way to get a horde Mm -hmm. into the army. And it, you know, it it, and so I just just food for thought. Right. And and from my perspective, you know, we haven't gotten to this because this is at the end of the conversation, too, more or less. But, you know, what are the kinds of archetype armies you can bring for abyssal dwarves? One of them, I think, is definitely a golem heavy, which means you're surge heavy. But I think that there are, of course, other archetypes, and if you don't want to go golem-heavy, the point of this is you struggle to get hordes to unlock. Yep. There are not great choices. And and the abyssals come as a horde where, I'm sorry, the grotesques come as a horde, and the half-breeds yep. don't. And that's another reason why I favor the grotesques over there. Well, Kelly, speed. let's take us through the abyssal
2: grotesques so we can make those comparisons.
3: Yeah, so I'll just go on and do the statistics for the grotesques. So their speed 7, so 1... Uh, below uh, the half-breeds, melee four uh, and defense five. Uh, They have a regiment and a horde, uh, unit strengths two and three. They come with nine attacks and 18 attacks, and then they're 13-15 nerve and 16-18 nerve. They are brutal. They have crushing one, thunderous two, regen five plus, and of course, vicious. So they do come, they're more expensive, I should say. They're, they're at the regiment level, they're 20 points more than the half-breeds. And at the horde level, they are 50 points more uh, than, uh, but it's a horde versus a regiment. And we've talked about them a lot. I mean, I would say that, I guess my, my sort of point when I said, well, let me, let's compare them is that if I'm looking for a relatively fast-moving component in my army, I think the better buy is the grotesques over the half breeds. And that's kind of that would be my my bottom line. Uh, Having played both, having played both in the same army, having played one in an army and the other in an army, I kind of vote that the greater cost is is worth it. I do think the defense five and the 1618 makes it more likely that you're going to benefit from the regen tax. Right. The tax that they're charging you for having regen, you're more likely to get the benefit of the regen and I, I think although the move seven is a bit of a, uh, is more important than one inch what you might think. Right. And we know why, because it means you're, you're not, you're not going to have a standoff with another uh, move eight cavalry unit, that move eight cavalry unit is going to be able to hit you first. Um, I still think that all things told, I would take the grotesque. So you that. hit on
2: a lot there, Kelly, the, the big thing between the two, obviously the Bristol grotesque are much more expensive, but the defense five and the, increased nerve to me. I don't care that they're speed seven because at that point, if I, if you do have cavalry, I'm going to check them out H- here, charge them. Right. I mean, they're, they're 18 nerve. Right. And and their defense five, it's like, okay. And if you let me hit you, right. Even though they're hitting on fours, they got more attacks than the abyssal half breeze at 18 and they have crushing one thunder too. So they've got a little bit more punch. So I, in my mind, Abyssal, Abyssal Church has to do a few things really well. They're wider. They're 125. You can maybe, you, you, you I don't know why you would, but you could screen abyss. You can, your golems if you wanted to. Right. But also they just, I, man, they're just, that's, that's it's 14 charge. Right. And you know what? If you really want them to be as fast as Abyssal, just give them Roo a haste. And now they're charging 16 as well. That's what? 20 points. I mean, at this point, you know, 195, to 245, that goes to 265. I mean, at that point, like at some point, like I'm a person that likes to have few magical artifacts, but I also recognize when I'm spending a lot of points on stuff that needs to get to do something, I'm fine with spending a little bit more to make sure that it actually happens. Right. It's sort of like I've already invested. So what's another dollar if I've already spent 10? Right. So I don't know. I I get what you're saying. I think. I don't see a lot of either of these, but the the why why I would take the test, I love the models. I think they're great.
1: I was about to say fun hobby note. I just painted some as his Walks, My Behringer, uh list. They're a really awesome model from Mantic. They're fun to paint. It's a really cool looking model. Yeah, for
4: sure. I for me, it's they need a waiver mitigation or a speed. You need to spend the extra points on them to get those things. One one or the other, whichever one you're you know flavor you're going. If you're taking two units of these, you definitely give one to, one of each type. Um, the, the fact that they don't have fury, but the half breeds do, is the one detriment to the grotesques, in my opinion. They're going to survive more hits because they're defense five. They're going to regen some because of the five plus. They won't regen as much, but you know it'll become less worrisome when they're getting to, getting in and fighting people. Um, the brutal makes a big difference in in combat. Uh, you know, everybody always you know it's one point, but that one point so many times is what you need. Um, that it's a big deal but there are two weaknesses for their points that you're spending is that fact that they get wavered. Um, and yeah, it's harder than the half-breeds to be wavered, but it's not
2: hard. I, I would argue that the Fury is wasted on the abyssal half-breeds because they're not going to be around to use it. <laughs> right. Right? right. Like, that's, I mean, like Whenever like I, whenever I charge her. them, they die, right? Like I, 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 I played against them this week, and they just die. Yes. But like i said they're glass cannon you know
4: fury on the champions
2: hey that makes sense and i love it but
4: on the unit it doesn't matter as much because um, it's so rare you know that that even in a uh five game tournament it might happen once maybe uh, probably in three terms it's going to happen once for the fury to come in and whereas the grotesque would be able to use it all day long so anyway that's that's my opinion on the grotesques um i think it's a really good unit i think it it's better at it than the half breeds which kills me because like i said originally half breeds are the reason why i wanted to play these guys and Mm -hmm. but grotesques are better um my biggest problem is whenever you're playing in tournaments everybody keys off on the grotesque because they know they're bad they know they're dangerous um and they want to key off on them and that's been my problem with them is is, and and maybe it's because i gave up too early but that's i'd rather go with the defense six you know uh greater obsidian
1: yeah. I've had some same experiences. Yeah, yeah. It, becomes the, it becomes the primary target for So if you spend 260, you spend all those points, you put the magical artifact, everybody knows that's your biggest threat and it gets pumped off the table. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And we should mention we have, we have another uh, cavalry unit, which is the slave or uh, gore riders. Again, they're a regular. Speed eight, Malay four, defense four, coming troop and regiments, one, three unit strength, 18, 16, attacks, 9, 11, 12, 14, 90, 135, crushing strength, one, thunder charge, one. I, I don't, do any of you guys ever use these? I mean, I, I've seen them. The one, the one yeah, we'll, we'll talk to it. I mean, I, the one use I know would be great is if you're thinking about playing an orc army, but you're playing Abyssal Orbs today, paint some of those up because they're going to work in your new army. <laughs> the reason why
3: I played them is because I think they hit pretty well for their points. And they also are a way to put in another item of speed into the list. And so, for example, for a while, I ran an army that can, contained a unit of half breeds, a unit of grotesques, and a unit of slave art gore riders. And what I was trying to do was really build that hammer and anvil army, right? I was really trying to spend roughly a half of my points on something that was moving fast and a half of my points that was going to stand, you know, hold the ground and, and be an infantry force. And, and again, it, yeah, they're not great, but then they're not expensive either. And they still give you, they hit effectively as hard as the half-breed. Well, that's not quite true, because they're hitting on fours, not hitting And on they three. don't have the
2: vicious, which is also, but... And they don't have the vicious. So let me take that back. They're not yeah, no, no, it's good. fine. <laughs> they are budget knights, right? Compare kingdoms of men, not 190, right, to these guys at 135. In some ways, this thing has crushing strength one, thunder one. So on counterplay... They're gonna have something back. Whereas the King of the Men Knights are are gonna be crushed a Thundercharge 2 and nothing on the counterplay. The reason why they're 55 points cheaper is that they don't unlock their malay four plus, right? Versus three plus and their defense four instead of defense five. The point is this is a unit that you gotta be really good to use. Like it's if if, it, if you can get it to hit, it's gonna do the same damage as those knights. But if you don't get it to hit first. It's going to be a problem. Number one, it's got the lower defense, and even worse, it's got the 1214 nerve. So, yeah, I mean, there's probably an opportunity for playing this,
1: right? And if you run them in mass, it's cheap unit strength, meaning you could have the, you can do these as like a bunch of speed thick. I've actually seen a list online about other tournaments and looked at other tournament lists, and somebody played a list with like nine regiments of these. And it was just, it was just all over the board. It's a ton of unit strength. And yeah, it's, I haven't played, I've toyed with lists, but. No success or tried them at this point.
4: I have done them on, on the flank with a half breed unit and a half breed champion, and using them as the chaff for those guys to try to hopefully protect them a little bit um, because of the speed factor. So now I have a flash, fast flank uh, against people, and when I was still trying to make the half breeds work, uh, you, you know, with two units of them in my army, I, I started playing around with those, and they're they're very useful. Um, I love hitting somebody in the flank with them. When they aren't expecting it uh and a champion in the front and them in the flank and they can actually make a lot of things disappear that you know people aren't thinking about um so i i like them and they aren't really pointed poorly for what they do it's just that you need them they're really good for a fast units bit and we've already talked
2: about you know the the one unit that they're best with it tends to be a glass cannon yeah one of the other concerns with your fast units they're so much faster than your other stuff that our stuff's not going to keep up. You know, one of the things about Chaff is you hit it, you hold them down. Well, your Abyssal Golems, two more turns before they get there.
1: We'll, we'll get them there by turn four. It's fine.
2: Somebody take us through Monstrous Infantry.
1: All right, so we got a lesser Obsidian Golems, Monstrous Infantry. Uh, they're Speed 5, Melee 4, Defense 6, which is the main part of my army line. They come in regiments and hordes, uh, unit strength 2 and 3. Uh, nine attacks on the regiment, eighteen on the horde. Uh, they're fearless, which I love. Dash fourteen on the regiment, dash seventeen on the horde, and 130 points and 215 points respectively. They come with crushing two shambling, so surge becomes major with vicious melee. Uh, I also be a big fan of the upgrade of Charnox gives you some eight eight inch, some basically some. 17-inch effective shooting uh, that hits on uh, range four, pierce one with steady aim for 30 more points, so it puts you at about 245 on our on board. I don't start a list without two of these.
4: <laughs> All of my current lists have four of them. Four of them. I like the way you think. So that, that should tell you where, where I'm at. Um, the uh, I, was, I was bringing two or three depending uh, in my old lists and then bringing in some of the faster stuff, some of the other stuff, and it that that uh, separation of unit where you just send something off and it dies and then you get there late and it dies was i mean i was losing everything in every game so i basically just said uh, after playing uh jeff at adepticon i said take all defense six just go for it and did that now my army does have some characters that aren't because i need to search but that's that's kind of what I went through. I'm like, okay, all golems, and I know it's not new, and I know it, nobody's, you know, not seen this before. Uh, it has weaknesses. Um, we were talking earlier before we started recording. Um, they're very expensive for what they are. Everybody gets terrified of Defense Six. Everybody is terrified of Surge, but at 2:45 with a the Charnox, they aren't doing enough shooting to really kill everything. You know what I mean? They aren't. They don't have enough attacks to just obliterate whatever they hit, and they are a counter-punching army because they don't have the movement. So they're going to get punched and then punched back if they survive. And and that, to me, is all about what the golems are about. Um, The biggest thing for me is you got to keep them in a line. If if you allow anybody to start picking off flanks, um, they can roll up three or four of these units in no time flat, and everybody's like, oh, their defense six will take forever to go through. It doesn't.
1: No, because a lot of lists you run against these days have quite a bit of crushing available to them. Oh, yeah. So the D6, well, don't get me wrong, D6 is nice. But if you run up against bone giants and things like behemoths and crushing all over the place, they don't stand up well. Yeah. I typically put my current list, which we'll talk about later, I played in the last tournament. I usually go two hordes with two graders. Mm-hmm. And I use the graders to protect the interior, the exterior, their flanks. I love, I love graders, which we're we'll talking about late. I can't, I can't get enough of them. I don't tend to surge these guys often because of the base size. I tend to have trouble getting them in the right position where surge works. Surge on the graders, I use constantly. Uh surge becomes very useful to, for the lessers a lot late game when the board starts clearing up some. Because I do it the same as you. I, I create a battle line in the middle of my golems. That's what that's the core of my 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 army. And it's just march, 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 march. Come punch me in the face. I, I love golems. They are expensive. That's why I have my unit strength and my drops is usually smaller. in my arm as you know because you got four of them even more than me but yeah fantastic unit they are a little expensive but i don't see a better i've tried different infantry lists and i've rotated through various lists i've gravitated to this and i've had the most success Maybe it's because I'm a newer player and I'm still learning some of the things and some of the more objective-specific units that only serve one purpose and take a lot of babysitting to use I've struggled with. So I've kind of gravitated to the anvil, just a straight line of D6 with and flanks and see what happens. It's kind of where I've landed, and it works.
4: To go off of Rob's thing, for, for me, it, it also is a good unit for a beginner player. I agree. Because um, it's going to take a lot of damage. You're going to learn from your mistakes. It's still going to hurt. But at the same time, you know, it's going to be there for a little bit longer in your game and you're going to learn more about the mechanics of the game as you're learning.
1: It's not like if I throw a grotesque horde out there as a new player dies turn one, that didn't teach me anything because we just got shot off the table.
4: Yeah, you just don't take the unit again. But, you know, how many figures do you have when you're a new player, right? Whereas the golems, you know, I mean, yeah, they die. We all know they die. But at the same time, they're going to stick around a little bit longer. Um, It's one of the reasons why I took them and wanted to take this army is because I knew I'd be around longer.
1: Yeah, and I have played variations of these guys with a bunch of regiments, with like five regiments, all with Charnox. And then you bring an infantry line with them with all that shit. Re- it's a really fun list to play. I don't know if it's super effective because i only tried it a few times, but it's like crazy thick chaff and fearless D6 to 18-inch shooting and then bring your, your hammers up behind. It works pretty well with regiments.
3: You know the one thing that I sort of learned, and y'all guys have obviously figured it out, um, is that you, you have to kind of go all in, right? You are you're going to have to you're you're going with surge, so and you know you, you got to bring the surge in on the list, and you got to bring several units of it. And from my standpoint, it's like one of the archetype armies for the for the abyssal dwarves is to have a heavy golem presence, whether it's graders or whether it's, you know, lessers or obviously both. And you, you just have to say, well, I'm, that's the kind of army I'm going to have. I'm going to put in, I'm going to put investment into surge. I'm going to bring three, four, five, six units, whether it be graders or lessers. And that's the type of army I have. And I, I have chosen not to do that yet. I think it may be at some point I'll get tired of what I'm trying to do because I'm be losing so much. And I will switch over to, uh, I, I think, a more golem heavy Before we get on to talking
4: about the surge caches themselves, to talk about just the golems in, in how they play, because it's kind of feast or famine. you got to take a big chunk of them to make them really worthwhile. Um, I actually take four and two graders. Uh, one's the named one, but I, t- I take them all. Um, but you're very limited on that. There are certain scenarios where you are at a big disadvantage.
1: Yeah, you can't. You play for the draw from turn one.
4: Right. If you get- it's, it's, there, it, sometimes you get into a tournament and it's like, oh, no. I did not want to see that scenario uh, against especially this army that I'm playing at that point. And you're pretty much hoping to pull out a draw. Matchups, same thing. You know, I've, I've been around and around and around trying to figure out how to beat Travis's army with his, his, all of his crushing strength. And basically, I can't get through his chaff. He gets to a flank. He starts rolling these units up, and I can't respond quick enough because he has more units than me. And that's, you know, a, a quick summary of it. But it puts you at a disadvantage against that type of army. Now there are other armies. I'm happy to see, you know, as far as, as oh, okay, yeah, go ahead and try to shoot me off. That's not going to work. And oh yeah, I have healing too. So it, it's it's one of those things where there are certain matchups that are really bad, and there are certain matchups you don't care about. And there's even some other things we can take in the characters that'll mitigate that later. Uh, Some of those bad matchups kind of become neutral, right? Then you're on even playing ground. But there are just certain scenarios and certain matchups that the Golems cannot excel at, and they are a slog army. You almost have to have luck in certain scenarios.
1: Well, it goes to my conversation, the statement I said earlier about where when you play with Golems, you're playing a counterpunch army. You're not fast enough to beat an initiative. You have to, everybody's staying just outside of your charge range so they can charge you. So you have to position where you can react and surge into the flanks when they land them, they did bounce off your guy. So it becomes a very counter punch style. You have to be patient. You can't get aggressive because people, a couple of new players I've been teaching some other guys are bringing in. They ask me why I don't surge more early. I'm like, all that does is break up my line yep. and give more flanks. I'm like, surge is useful, but it's not, it's useful to counter it, to react to what they do to you. If you start surging prematurely, you just get crushed off the table because So you end up not surging early and you you still move slow and then you start reacting, which I love. I find it fun if I survive the first triple charge or double charge or checkerboarding enough to your point where they can't get two hordes into my front of my golems to make sure they can only get a single one in. So they'll more than likely survive and I can take the flank.
4: I do love, uh, especially if you can tie it off with terrain and and avoid multiple charges against blockable terrain, all of your units.
1: yeah, anchor, anchor
4: side, yeah, exactly. Anchor that side with the golems, and then they become even worse because then they can't really double team you. And then, hey, any grind I'm willing to take on with the, the golem unit, but um, you can't always get that in every scenario. Every to your point, every time I surge early, I tend to lose the game. You know, I did one against Steve at Orkings and surged early because it was the only way I thought I could try to win. and you know his rats got me in the end. Just too many of them, too many different units, and he could pick me off at the end. Um, and I got squared away because I had surged off and separated myself. Couldn't get back to the center uh, well enough to control anything. Um, so early surge is kind of bad. You know, I know a lot of people are worried about the surge and the flank from the golem unit, but that tends to really happen when it's it's a really important unit you got to kill. Because anytime you do it, you're breaking up your line, and you're going to give something flanks. Something's gonna be able to hit somewhere on your flank and like I said if you have a battle line that as soon as they start rolling up the flank it's just a matter of time before they chew through it all you can't really do that easily or you know willy-nilly especially early so I agree with that but but yeah I know Kelly have fun enjoy it um, but yeah defense six big block units even though I think they are the points aren't quite exactly right I'd love to either see them get more shooting or have the shooting at a different price point, just come with the unit. But yeah, that's that's
1: the the thing about these guys is their wonderful battle line. You know, Blake and I have a lot of opinions. We played a lot. Have you tried them at all yet, Kelly? Have you have any experience with the golem?
3: i said some, but I think I I started kind of early, and I just didn't I wasn't realizing at that point that no, you gotta you gotta take them in with several units, right? You, you you have to make a decision that I'm going to bring a surge driven army, but that's the way I call it but it's a, it's an army of golems and you're going to support it with surge. And what I did then is I realized when I realized that I said, well, I don't want to do that right now. I want to concentrate on an infantry heavy army. And I started to be looking for synergies about an infantry. Do you think army. it's important that
4: you, you can't take one unit of these guys and expect them to do anything? You've got that's to right. take multiple units.
3: Otherwise they, they just don't give any turnout. And that's kind of what I realized, right? That's, that's what I was saying. I said, I, I, after trying that, I said, no, this isn't working, and that's not the way I
1: brought up it. the great obsidian golem since we kind of talked about him. So I'll burn through his stats and we can talk about him right now since it's here. Yep. We talked about him. So we got the great obsidian golem who's a titan. He's height six, speed six, melee four, as are all our golems, D six again. Unit strength one, 12 attacks, dash nineteen for two thirty-five. He's got crushing strength three, he's shambling, he's strider, and he's vicious melee. Everything that applies to the golems I like about this guy. I really wish he had brutal. like really wish he had brutal um but he's a 75 millimeter base which lets you do a lot of surge shenanigans i tend to use this guy a lot to protect my back lines so if somebody jumps over me like flyers get behind me or they're coming from the flanks you can easily pivot do a full reposition with my surge and protect my back line if i need to get back there if i don't have any other response uh but again every my current army i bring two of these I don't, I've just started to play with the name guy, which we can talk about in a bit. I do like the name guy quite a bit, but yeah. So any, what would you guys have thoughts on the greater? I love him.
4: I, I absolutely love him except for Alchemist curse. <laughs> People love to tee off on him with Alchemist curse, but, um, once again, he only has 12 attacks for the points. And basically his he's basically our giant. He's a, you know, a, a light giant, but he's our giant in, in some ways I wish he had slayer, you know, um, the, the, or, or, or one of the, the, the extra attack things because he just doesn't have a lot of attacks straight on. Now, that being said, he's normally, he's more likely to get a surge off than anything else as far as your golems and everything else. A surge, su- surge flank or even just a regular flank. I pick him up all the time. He is a square base. He can see a lot of things. He's definitely not nimble, but, you know, uh, for me, it's just the, uh, just the lack of attacks. If he had more attacks, you could use him more as an offensive force. However, his design really is to just sit there, take a hit, pound somebody hard, take another hit, pound them hard again. And if they're not dust by that, hopefully you've moved something over to help him kill it off. He can take multiple turns of grind, you know, multiple, keep chopping up. And even Shobic, he can go toe to toe with Shobik in turns. I've had that happen. And most things I have a problem with with Shobic, just, you know, is really good, so is this guy. He's that good, it's just, against Horde units, he's gotta have help. And that's, that's the thing. If anything that has high level nerve, he doesn't have enough attacks to make it consistent enough to destroy whatever he hits. You add things in with him, and now you're there. And obviously everything with Vicious, that's so important with his Crush 3. Uh, the name character we'll get to in a bit, but him with Crush 3, and Vicious, pretty much anything you do wound with is getting through, right? But still 12 attacks, hitting on fours is six hits. You know, that's five or six wounds most of the time. It's not quite enough when you're dealing with Nerve 23 or or anything like that. You
3: know, know, an interesting stat on him is I'm really glad that he has Speed 6, but I'm really unhappy that the Lessers have Speed 5. Because it seems to me it's hard to keep them. I mean, you, you're just losing the speed six half the time, right? You have to manage right? it
1: because you have to walk them up together. So you have, yes, you have, you have, to, have to walk them up back. together.
3: You're keeping your line straight,
4: right? The only thing he does, and and I actually tend to use them the same way as Brian was describing, units of golems in the middle, and I have my flanker greater golems on the edge. That extra charge gives them the ability to s- snipe off. Now, once again, as soon as you do that, you're separating them off from the battle line you know, and the the name character version is much better at that than the greater obsidian. We'll get into the, the reasons why here in a bit. But but that's, to me, that's, that's the thing about the greater obsidian golems is they're really good on the flanks. That extra charge range gives them a little bit more threat. It tries to prevent people from hitting the flanks of your other golem units. Because if they're going to get close enough to try to get into your flanks of your golem units, they're probably going to be pretty close to charge range of your greater obsidian golem and that's what you're looking for. Um, and then if you have enough surge, they can do absurdly long charges, uh, surge charges, if you have enough surge into people's flanks. And, you know, I it's rare, but I have actually had one where I've sent a greater obsidian golem off on a surge chain way off in the middle of nowhere to a really bad unit that they're trying to protect and kill a unit. Cause I can get a flight chart that they aren't looking for because I can surge you know 10 12 inches on top of his movement and they're not expecting that much of a surge or whatever so, so that's kind of how I tend to use them um, I just wish they'd you know modified the attacks or at least added the things that all the other giants get that would make these guys really worth the points um and as it is they just really take a lot of damage they are not the uh, you know massively offensive force unit they're they're a sit there and Secure your line, and then threaten to do something occasionally. Should we talk about the inferno? Well, let's talk. Actually, let's go over the surge characters. Then we get in oh, with right, right. the named characters. There, I think. I think that's probably the best way. So, for the iron caster, he's a, a hero. And Fiji spell spellcaster 2. He's a speed four, of course. Melee four, defense five. The nice thing about a lot of our casters, they are five. He has no unit strength, of course. He has one attack. He is 13 nerve, and he's ninety points. He uh, is an individual and inspiring. He actually has uh, a rockfuls flame. Uh, whenever uh, he rolls damage with a fireball, he re rolls anything that's uh, a one. So basically, he has elite with fireball. We'll get into that when we get to the name character. Um, he does have a spell of fireball ten. His options are uh, bane chant for twenty points. Heal three for twenty points. Lightning bolt three for twenty points. Mind fog two for fifteen, and surge eight for thirty points, or free if you replace the fireball, which can be a really cheap version of adding surge to an army. Uh, comparatively, you do lose an offensive threat, and obviously sometimes fireball and surge in the same term with uh, the magic item really worth it. <laughs> you know uh, if you actually. Mention-
1: I, when I'm building my list, I tend to be through all my list building. Maybe I've been doing it wrong, but I tend to take ch- take this cheap surge. I tend not to bring Fireball because I find because it's such a short range and I'm a slow line, I don't get to use Fireball as much as I would like. So I tend to save the points and swap surge for Fireball almost on all my casters.
4: I, I did do that for the longest time. Right now, the way I've been playing it for the last like seven or eight months, uh, I have actually been taking surge and Fireball and the and, uh, item to recast two turns in one turn. I'm using it turn three, four, five, six as cleanup. And remember, for a lot of my stuff, I'm doing a battle line. I don't want my middle line to really surge. I want the ability to surge, but I don't necessarily want to break it up and surge early all, all the time. So that fireball, real nice to beat off a chaff unit that's trying to tie up my golems, sometimes can come in really handy. And, and I've actually done that they throw uh, uh, a chaff unit in front, fireball the heck out of it, and then surge them forward. My golems now take the place where that chaff was. You know, so you can kind of do that. But I agree with you; it's really great to take the cheap surge, and having a second one is is always great because you now have that cheap version of it. Um, I tend to actually go a slightly different way with it now with the hex casters. We'll get into those in a bit. But anyway, that's so, so for me, favorite AD
1: favorite A D unit.
4: Yeah, the, the flavor one to take is the Iron Caster with the cheap surge, nothing else. The secondary one would be keep fireball and surge and the item that allows you to cast one turn, both spells. And then you can have him fill, fill the fireball role to you know, hopefully snipe some cheap stuff off around your golems if he's you know tied in with your golems, if that's how you're using them. Uh, that's how I use it. Uh and then end game, I've killed off quite a few characters with fireball ten. To their face with elite, um, and clean up, um, or or even like you get a horde with 18 wounds on it, hit it with fireball, clean it off. It's gone off the end of the end of the game. Whereas I don't have anything left to surge, or you know, hopefully at that point I've killed a lot of things. I don't need to surge, but fireball will let me kill off a horde. So that's how I've used
1: them. In the- I would like to make another new player comment. This conversation is evidence why I wish we had more AD players around because I don't get to have this kind of back and forth with other guys that play this really heavily. So this has been a fantastic conversation.
2: Too bad we're not recording it so other, other new players could hear it, right? Rob, that would be a great idea. Yeah, I'm going to hit record that. now. I'm going to hit record now.
3: I need somebody to fulfill that function, Rob. <laughs> got it. You got it. <laughs> We were talking a minute ago about, you know, my sort of lesson learned in the first six months, which was I needed to go heavy with golems or not at all. And I think consistent with that lesson was if you're going to go heavy with golems, you need to bring the iron caster. The flip side to that is honestly, I'm come to the conclusion that if you're not going heavy with golems, like my infantry heavy army, you don't take an iron caster. You take the hex caster and you just live with that. And we'll get to that when we get to the Hex Caster. I never, but that's yeah, sort I of That's
1: without a Hexcaster. He's too good, and too cheap.
3: That's right. He's too cheap, right? Anyway, I, I don't want to get on the Hex Caster, but I'm just saying for the Iron Caster, you need to bring him if you're going to have a Golem heavy army. There ain't no question about that, yeah. I think. Because the Surge, whether you go cheap Surge or not cheap Surge, you're going to want to. Another it for cheap Surge option, unfortunately, this
4: is kind of delving into the Hex Caster a little bit, It would be Tome of Darkness. You know, because a lot of the times you only need the one inch Surge. You know, just bump it in. There we go. And then on top of that, if you have either an iron caster with surge, you've now added four dice. If you stay within range, you can, oh, my My surge failed. I needed three and I got two. Eh, Tome of Darkness, get him in there anyway. So that helps a lot uh, if you do have a hex caster to have him with Tome of Darkness. I mean, there are a lot of different uses for the hex caster, but that's one thing you can do to add surge to your army on a cheap basis. 20 points, you still got the hex caster doing weakness and everything else. And then you got Tome of Darkness for Surge. So that's the option. Or even on a, you know, not, I don't tend to do it on a Slave Driver, but I've done it on an Overmaster with a
1: Tome before, that type of thing. What is your feeling on heals with Iron Caster? I tend to, I've tried it for a bit, but I don't know if it's worth the points. I don't really, because that's one of our few sources of healing yes. is our Iron Cat.
4: I, I used to actually take it, especially when I had a bunch of breeds in there, because that could make a difference. You know, heal, he'll free, you know, get a couple wounds back or a wound back and regen could make a difference for them but it's expensive and what i started doing is we'll talk about the name character next but i started taking the name character because he comes with it and iron caster you gotta pay for it right so i mean you're paying for it for the character too we'll get into that it's probably not the uh, optimal choice for a tournament player to take the name character but that's what i tend to do with it um and then because i have it with him i am not taking it with my iron caster currently Um, yeah, I don't know. you guys want to just move on to Dravik and Infernok? Since we've been talking about Golems and graders and Surge and everything else, I think it makes sense. They tend to be a pair. You don't have to buy them that way, but they're a pair. Uh, Dravik uh, Dalkin, he's a, a unique uh, infantry hero, spellcaster 2. He's got speed 4, of course. Uh, melee 4, defense 5, as we said. A lot of those things. He does have a mighty 2 attacks, and he's 12-14. Uh, He's 155 points at height 2. He does come with Crushing Strength, Individual, and Inspiring. He has Possession, which we'll talk about here in a short bit. He comes with the spells of Fireball 12, Heal 3, and Surge 12, which is huge for the Surge. Once again, most Surges, you only need like one inch or two, but this guy has so many that you can actually make a lot of long Surges, especially if you add them to something else. We'll talk about it here in a second. Uh, And then... With Dravic, you can also take Infernoch, who is a Greater Obsidian Golem special character, uh, or unique character. He is a Titan. He is Speed 6, Melee 4, Defense 6, uh, Unit Strength 1. Uh, he has 12 attacks and 19 nerve, just like the Greater Obsidian Golem. He is Height 6, and he's 255 points. He comes with Brutal, Crushing 4, so he's even better than the Greater Obsidian Golem. He's got Shambling and Strider and Vicious Melee. He is a bound soul. So as long as as long as long a friendly core Dravik uh, Dalkin is alive and in play, he is inspiring to himself. So as long as Dravik's alive, this guy is self-inspiring. When I talked about huge. you put him on the flanks and he can go off by himself a lot better than the greater obsidian golem, that is why. Because he is not only can he go and take damage, he's also inspiring to himself. Um the other thing that goes with Dravik is called possession. So unless Infernock is engaged or disordered, Dravik Dalkin may use Infernock's line of sight to cast spells. And when doing so, you measure the range from Infernock's leader point instead of Dravik's. That's really important because you can actually cast Heal through Infernock to one of your other Golem units. You can cast
3: Surge to another unit. You can cast fireball, right? And you really are are minimizing the 12-inch range, and he's got a really good fireball. And it's a creature that's
4: defense six, nerve 19.
3: You know, it's interesting. The the Infernoch, I I was just kind of comparing the points. You're you're getting, even if you don't buy Dravik, you're only paying 20 more points for the Infernoch over the greater obsidian golem. And And you're getting out of that brutal and and an an extra point of crushing. Frankly, I think it would make sense. I mean, if I ever do this, I think I'd always bring the Inferno.
1: I point the extra point of crushing, and maybe it's just the armies I've played, doesn't come into play that often unless you play another D6 army. So the big thing you're getting is brutal. Yeah. But you can get brutal cheaper, whereas you can't do an item because he's a Titan. But yeah, you are right. That's the only difference between the two. is brutal and one more crushing. The trap,
4: I think, for a lot of tournament players, and what I mentioned earlier, that this character combo is not necessarily probably pointed the best, is it's very expensive to buy them both. In order to buy them both, you get a huge advantage. You get self-inspiring Infernoch, and you can cast spells through him through Dravik. It's very important for me, and we'll talk about it once I build up my army, uh, or talk about my army list, but for me, having that ability to cast through him is huge. But you are then paying 155 points on top of your 20-point more expensive Greater Obsidian Golem, if that makes sense. So it's a, it's a heavy tax, but it's really important to how I play them right now um, that I have that ability to to cast through him and you know the big thing he is Infernoch, self-inspiring. Um, the only the only problem I have with Infernoch is everybody confusing him for an Infernox, uh, you know. And, and Infernox and Infernoch, you got to make sure that understands they're saying to the extra okay. The the surge twelve from Javik, surge eight from the Ironcaster, Tome of Darkness. Those are all the surges that you want to use, and the problem is your range on surge. If you're, f- you're doing a battle line, you're, you're you're spread out to some extent. Uh, you're trying to stay even. You're going to use those surges for opportunities to to kill off a, a flying charge to somebody. You're going to use it to, like I said before, you know, you get a somebody who wavers the chaff in front of you, you. Use them to reposition your battle line. You can just surge forward and and you know catch up. Um, Sometimes I'll use them for a really long charge with uh, normally Infernoch, but if not the other great obscene golem, The, the biggest point is to never stick yourself to one surge, in my opinion, if you're going to go golem heavy. Now, if you're infantry, this doesn't matter, but if you're going to go surge, you've got to go surge and you've got to have multiple points to be able to cast that surge from hopefully somewhat overlapping to the middle, you know, so that you could actually do that what i mentioned earlier oops i missed that surge Toma darkness guy now does it too and i make that surge work but you have to spread them out that's why to me Javik was so important to my build um the way i'm doing it because i have him he can cast it i have an iron caster that cast it i can cast it through infernock and then i have a hex caster that also has it so i have four different chances that surge and four chances to keep my surge with me.
1: Yeah, based on your army composition, what you said with the four hordes of golems, it spreads you out even farther. With my two hordes, it's easier for me to keep two iron castles overlapping in my battle line. Yes. But with four hordes, you get spread out too wide.
4: Yes. And then by having multiple points to do that, you're much better off. Uh, When I talked about doing the long surge, one of the reasons why I lost our little one day mission, I came in second instead of first, is because for some reason, just moved a guy out of my surge range. So when I moved the unit, he couldn't search any longer, and then I left my guy out there. So it's a mistake you can walk into. You have to be careful of it. But if you separate them out like that, you can you can have a much better chance. And having four locations to center your surge on, to me, is just really important, which is why, even though Dravic and Infernock by most points tournament, min-maxing is not probably the best option. It's how I use them to make it worthwhile in my build. So but surge is really important for uh, cleanup. One of the things I meant to mention to you, Brian, I don't know if you've used them, but when you're trying to do like control for a board quarter or, or uh, an objective or whatever, if you have two surgers, you can, you know, surge 12, surge eight, you can move that unit 10 inches over there towards an objective or to a board quarter. And all of a sudden now you block it. I have, I have won several games by people thinking that they had enough squares to draw and then I just to that one over there. And now that one's you know, either mine or it's it's contested and now I win. So you can do that very late game with surge. Um if you have the range on it, and you have to be careful of that. But you know what I mean? You can use it if you have more than one surge. Uh, if you only have one surge, you're not doing doing that.
1: Well, we've now made it through all the golems, all the name golems, the two name casters. We'll go hex caster next.
4: Let's hold on. I think we should probably go back and do all the war machines first, right, yep. and then we'll end up with the, the must take thing and the and one of the best things in the game, in my opinion.
3: So I'm curious as to what you think is the must take because I'm sure I'm going to say I don't take it. I guess will have
1: free champion. He's done it a few times already. Times already.
3: caster Yes. Right. Okay. i
1: think thank. I think start Kevin. bringing your second one, but one is a must bring. Yeah, he's just too good. Yeah.
3: Yeah. 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 I have learned that. So I'll just start on the grog mortar, which is the smallest of the three. It's the 95 point war engine. It's a speed four, obviously range five plus defense five plus. It has two attacks, and it's nerve ten twelve horse unit size. Uh, of uh, I mean, I sorry height two. It is 48 inches blast D three plus one. It ignores obscured, which is the same across all of the three war machines. Not obviously, I'm not talking about the dragon fire team. It is indirect it's pierced two uh, and it is has reload and vicious and I'm sorry I was wrong grog mortar is the middle mortar it's the catch you can chan that's at the at the bottom of the of the pyramid if you will so right now I'm currently playing with three grog mortars it makes sense to spate to spend 10 more points uh, to go to to not bring the chan because you're getting. Uh, Pierce two over Pierce one and D three plus one versus D three. So for ten points, I'm going to do that. And just conversely, I don't think it's worth twenty more points over ninety five to go to the anchor heavy mortar. Uh, to me, it's to get what you get for the heavy mortar. It's not worth twenty. Talk points about these.
1: I'm about all of them. I've tried all. Yeah, I've I tried know. all of them. I find the anchor mortars with two attacks when five too swingy for the points. Because if I spit if I if I invest four hundred points for three of them and they don't hit, I'm already at such a low drop count. If I drop iron points over there, I'm at an even more of a disadvantage. So I'm not a fan of the Martyrs personally. I haven't used them to success. Um, I like the Rocket Launchers. I've The, the Rocket Launcher because I like the extra attack. Because it has three attacks versus two. So I like that extra chance to hit. I like the Rocket Launcher. I've played with a decent amount. I've tried the Fire Teams as well. Fire Teams are good to protect your back line if somebody flies over you. But the No Pierce suffers against tougher armies. Uh, and I've never played with the Martyrs. That's that's my breakdown of which ones I've used and how. I really like the rocket launchers, and are the uh, the rocket launchers and the fire teams are okay. Is the ones I've played around with. I don't currently play with them, but that was my experience with them.
3: Well, you know, and one of the things that that I was I was thank you. I I mean that's a great point about the attacks because it makes a big difference if you're bringing three. You know, I mean it, it makes a big difference. I didn't play with them for the longest time. I said I think it's a waste of points, and 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 that was the conversation I wanted to have was. Uh, you know, three grog mortars is roughly 300. Thing that I struggle with that I thought. So I've been playing infantry heavy for a long time, for a full year now, various ebbing and flowing with just changes. What I find is without something to force the enemy to come to me, without something that because I don't want to go buy a lightning bolt three. Right. I mean, it's like it's just not going to do anything. So I said the army, if you're infantry heavy, needs something to reach out and touch the enemy. And so even though I hate the fact that it has two attacks a piece, or even three apiece, which is so swingy, it's like I can't do without them. So that's that's what I wanted to see what y'all think it's about. It's one of our
1: few long-range attacks. The only thing we have to project long-range threat are these war engines. I'm going to be honest, I played with them, and because of the swinginess, I don't bring them anymore. i rather invest my points in golems and, and surge and other things I want to play around in my battle line I don't bring a ton of war engines right now. Rob keeps telling me I should bring more when we play, but I, I just I haven't found a way to make them what they feel they work for.
2: Problem with war engines, it's the same problem that kingdoms of men have. You can't take one; you got to take a battery, and then at that point you have to lean into that build. Problem that I see with your army is that it's so freaking slow. If you're gonna play that, I'm gonna sit down the back line and shoot you. Well, then when you play invade, you're not going to get across the table.
1: And talk. I've never seen you play with that way ever. Never, uh, never, never.
2: But you just don't have the speed <laughs> to sit back there and protect the war engines until it's time to go. You're shambling speed five, specifically the ones you'd want to actually defend your war engines that are the more resilient units are the slowest units. So I don't know. In the past, uh, war engines were better maybe. And the cover wasn't quite as severe. I mean, back in first edition, war engines every day all day but now i think your more viable build are more the surge shenanigans and the defense six and
1: that's a key point is let's not miss the the cover change that just happened here versus concealed now we get cover it used to be ignores cover and now we only get half of the cover from our war engines they're concealed you're now hitting on six
2: yeah it was messy right ignored cover except for if you're in difficult terrain well now you're either in Obscured terrain or concealed. It's one or the other. And if you have a lobber, then you ignore obscured. And if you're a, a, more of a cannon or a projectile shooter that goes in a straight line, they ignore concealed.
1: And you start hitting on sixes with war engines. It's not worth the points.
2: Well, that's the point, right? It's more situational. The way I play Kingdoms of Men is what I would say that if you want to take them, take lobbers. There's going to be a lot more obscure on the table than concealed. The lobbers are cheaper than the other options. I mean, if you take three of them, that's that's a lot of points. All of ours are the same as far as ignore obscured. We don't have a ignore concealed. We we have all the same. Well, maybe that's a better thing for you guys then, right? Because if if you could take, I'm just going to throw this out there. Six ignored obscured. The other the other disadvantage you guys do have, and Brian knows on the flip side the advantage that I have against him. Your big stuff is def- is height four. What are you going to see if you put something behind golems? For, for me, Kelly, the,
4: to your question, basically before the cover rules changed. I felt these were too swingy for success in a tournament environment because it's too expensive with my other option being very elite and expensive, you know, that I can't mix the two. And in order to have the, the line of sight that you need, they have to be off on a flank because they're not firing through the main part of your line, as, as Rob was just talking about. So now they're vulnerable out on a flank and I don't have anything cheap, I can put out there to protect them.
1: Yeah, we can't protect them. So they just fast up to just pick them off the side of the table.
4: And as soon as they're within 12 inches, I can't shoot them even. Putting them all together in one little group sounds like, hey, that's the way to do it. You increase your line of sight. You can hit it. Yeah, but now they get within 12 inches of one. More than likely, you're not hitting them with any of them. So that's the problem that I've had with them. That they are very swingy. The extra dice on the rockets help. I don't think, you know, the heavy mortar basically picks up shattering. I think that's the only thing it really picks up for the points. You know, it isn't really that big a deal for that. I wouldn't want to actually spend the extra points on that one now. But with the cover changes, I think it's actually even more important to to say that because I need to spend a lot of points on this other stuff that I'm I want to bring. Those have become too expensive for what they do. They're too swingy for that. And you know, it'd be different if they're you know. But even the rockets, when you do three dice, you know, as far as when I'm trying to design a tournament army, what I wanna do is have anything that can beat defense five. The typical unit I wanna be able to kill off is a defense five unit. With three dice, piercing one, even with a blast, you're not really gonna get there, at least in my opinion. Uh, Not enough to make a difference. Now it's different when you can then hit them with a golem unit, right? But you, you're never going to get that every game. And you're going to have a game where they do nothing at the initial. And I'd much rather threaten long range with our, our friendly hex casters, we'll talk about, just to, to bother them. And then move forward and basically take away their ability to deal with all of this that's moving slowly exonerably towards them. And I find that's better off than using the mortars. Um, you can go mortar heavy, and I'm sure there's a way to make it work. Um, But on a consistent basis, I haven't had any luck with that dice rolls. I mean, I've had games where they blew things off the table. But five games in a row, you're going to have a bad game where you're going to get tabled and you're not going to have any more machines by turn three because they're going to kill them. Especially in the current game, speed kills. At least that's how I look at it. And Rob, you might have or,
2: or... uh, an opinion you go to a lot of tournaments too especially like you think about terrain in the, in, in this today right and deployment you either got to be fast or you got to have some kind of mitigation you know speed always works i think speed is the king and not just everything being fast different speeds right so i put the you know the giants next to the you know the giant next to the knight so now you got to think well these guys charge 16 these guys charge 14 what range are you going to give me what charge distance are you going to give me so um yeah it's It's a tough. uh, We're 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 obviously in. We're moving into a new era. Do we want to talk about? It's great. It's a titan. Speed six. Melee
3: three plus. uh, Defense six plus. Range four plus. uh, Unit strength one nine attacks. Nerve uh, dash eighteen, which is really nice at two hundred sixty five points. Lots of special rules. Um, It has aura of brutal, but for dwarf only. Crushing strength two and thunderous two. Of course, it's vicious. It has Strider and Rampage D6, which means that, you know, infantry and such is a really juicy target for it. It also has five uh, uh, ranged attacks at range four plus. They're Piercing One and Steady Aim. There's three different options. Uh, Two of the options came in just with the Big Red Book uh, in, in December. So the first one is a Hellforged Overmaster, and you gain Wild Charge plus two, and we've talked about that a fair amount at the top. Um, And uh, and also Inspiring, which is really nice, uh, for 25 points. It has Supreme Taskmaster, which gains Aura Brutal, Slave Only, and Rally 2, Slave Only, for 25 points. And then uh, Abomination uh, Overseer, I think is the name, and it uh, gains Aura Life Leech plus one for Abomination only uh, for plus 15 points. You know, a lot of people like the Hellfane, as best I can tell from looking at the Internet. I think it does some wonderful things. I really like, as, as I've discussed already, the, the first uh, upgrade option, which is the Hellforged Overmaster. Uh, the plus two uh, wild charge is really uh, useful. I mean, I, it's part of the synergy I'm trying to build in an infantry heavy list. It's also worth noting that the model itself always gets the aura. So we're now talking about uh, a, a hellfane that has a charge range of 14 inches. Um, and, uh, and then the hellfane's tough, right? I mean, it's dash 18. It can take a pretty good punch and keep on on hitting. And I like the fact that it's melee three plus as versus, say, four plus on the greater Obsidian Golem. So I think it has a lot of things going for it. And as a lot of people say, it's a great model. I take it. I always take it because it's part of my infantry-only uh, synergy that I'm trying to build.
4: First off, it's a great model. I have a lot of fun painting it. They can look really, really cool. It's kind of got the plinky range, you know, little pistol thing, which kind of helps in some some ways. But its main thing is what it gives to all the other things and the threat value of being in with those infantry. For most of my concept on build, you're choosing the, the right, you know, option um now remember for the last one the abominations that is what half breeds and grotesques so you can go ahead and give them the the life leech i don't think that's a great of option when you have regen on all those things as well because once again our problem with half breeds is they don't live to get to the regen Life Leech, they're going to have to go another turn to get to the Life Leech as well. But then you got, for the slave Slaveless, you could go Slaves and get the Brutal and stuff like that, which is another way to add them in, a- another way to really increase a lot of things. So I think the, two, the first two options are the ones that I would use more often, but I actually think the Wild Charge and the Inspiring is the biggest, in my opinion, as far as that goes. I mean, what else to say? I mean, it has the Rampage that the Greater Obsidian Golem should have, but he's hitting on 3s. Which, once again, that's the, the one problem with uh, the, the golems, the obsidian golems, is they're on, on four. So, anyway, yeah, no, I, I love the model. Um, I have two. Um, I've used them occasionally for that. Um, if I wasn't going full-bore defense six golems, if I was going infantry, I'd be bringing hellfanes for sure. That's how they do upon
1: them. My initial list, excuse me, when I first started playing was an infantry heavy list. Very similar to what you're doing, Kelly. I had Hellfane. I was running very similar, full infantry. So I used Hellfane a lot. But I, again, I gravitated towards Golems because I felt with the six inch aura. So it's only a six inch aura. And I like bringing hordes of black souls with with Infernal guards, with Immortal Guards. And it gets so wide that aura can only affect so many of your infantry. So you have to bring multiples. And they already cost... 300 points. So for me, it started getting too expensive to build something I felt I could be competitive with. So and that's when I, when I realized that's when I should started shifting to the deep, the heavy defensive line is when I noticed that because they got so expensive in my mind, because you had to bring two to be effective so you can cover a wide enough area.
3: Well, the one thing I will say is if you put out the models and I'm sure y'all guys know this, but I'll say it anyway, for people who may not That with a six inch aura, you can affect four regiments because the regiment is roughly about five inches wide. And so if you line them up, so and that's what I do. I mean, you know, I I, 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 I'm running, you know, the, the 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 formation and a couple of other things. And I try to I actually run one horde and three regiments and I can get all four of them if I if I do it right. And he's a titan versus a normal infantry
4: being your inspiring source. You know, you can actually, if you check and board, it right, it actually is bigger than any other character uh, inspiring. So that's definitely for sure. I, I think infantry heavy. I'd probably run two of these guys though. But we're still running into the same problem that we always run in with this army. You're now spending a lot of points to get the effect out, and a lot of our different options are that expensive. Um, that's, that's the build of the army. I, it, I'm saying that is that is that's the intent. That's the way the army's built. But you have to be careful on, on your options that you choose because your 265 Hellfane is now what, 280 with your option? Or as you said, almost 300 points. You take two of them, that's basically 600 that you're, that you're fighting against. And now, and then, and they're Titans. So it's not like you're going to add an, an item to them to, to jump up. You're stuck to the options that you have. Gosh, take a horn on this thing would be great, wouldn't it? But you'd have to do that with a character. So now you're having to spend more points. And that's the thing is the things to make up for his deficiency cost you more and more and more points. So you have to reuse it, in my opinion, the way it's intended. Give that infantry, but you're going to have to take two of them and spread that love, you know, so they can have that guy who's defense six next to him, plinking off an occasional chaff with his pistol or whatever. You have to use the synergy of it, and you have to do that every game. Because if you don't, or if you had in a tournament setting you have that one game where it doesn't work you know now you spent 500 and what 60 points that's not going to get 300 points because it's not going to kill a
1: lot it's a support unit
4: yeah it's a support unit and you're spending 560 points on an infantry army in a support you know facility for your points so it kind of gets kind of dangerous it's a lot of fun it's a beautiful model and yes you can make it work don't get me wrong but you're going to have a lot of those options, especially as you're learning to, to use it, as, as when you're learning to play it, where you're just going to hit those bad matchups, or you're not going to you're going to get put out of shape. And as soon as you're out of shape, your stuff costs too much points, and you pay the price. And that's kind of what is is the is the worry. But no, as far as using the Hellfane, the other thing that with that Rampage, it does make it dangerous for other people if they get close to it. And you have to get them close is the problem. Close enough, but they can't be close enough to really hurt all your infantry around you, too. You know, I guess for a newer player, I think that's kind of a, a great model. It's a great model to paint. It's a lot of points, but they really got to concentrate on how they build around it. And I do think, especially for infantry, you're taking the best option.
1: Slave Driver, he's our chief inspiring unit. All right, so Slave Driver, he's a hero infantry, uh, speed four. I know it's shocking. We haven't said that today at all. Uh, melee four, defense five, uh, unit size one. He's attack, one attack, 10, 12, nerve, but only for 55 points. And he comes for, he's an individual, uh, Rally, if you're doing your and Slaves, uh, and Vicious Melee. So he's basically our cheap inspiring source. I don't play him much, but that's what he's used for if you need a cheap inspiring source.
3: I will definitely bring him when I put together the and Slaves Army, because I think Rally's great. But I don't see much sense in bringing him. I have other sources of inspiring, lots of, re- lots of places to find inspiring, and I'm not going to...
1: Bring him for just that. Uh, so, that's, does anybody got anything else about that guy? I mean, he's pretty straightforward. No. And the next one on the list is, is Farnock, who we talked about earlier. And if we all, we don't have to read through him again. We talked about him in the in the uh, formation. So, I go to the Overmaster. I've actually played with this guy a few times, Wings of Honey Maze. So, basically, he's the Overmaster, no, Overlord. What's it's the Overmaster. He's the melee guy. Yeah. So, speed four, melee three, defense six, five attacks, 13, 15 nerves, 105 points. Comes a crushing one. He's an individual, inspiring. He's mighty and he's vicious melee, and he has a a, a legendary upgrade: Infernal Advance. You gain Aura uh, Strider for infantry only uh, for twenty points, and he's keyword Dwarf. Uh, This dude's cool. I've actually he's I played with him a couple times. Not a whole lot. It's not a guy I bring. I tend, as you know, my Golem heavy army. I tend Ironcasters and Hexcasters. That's who I play with. So anybody else use him in any of your builds?
3: As you would expect, I do. I mean, in an infantry heavy army, I actually, a couple of things about him. One of them is, is that I think it with defense six, he actually, and mighty, he actually can play a role of, as a blocker and do a decent job. He's got 13, 15 nerve. And so he actually, in defense six, so he actually can take a hit and still be around at the end of it. And I've used him that way. I use him as a source of inspiring. And uh, I, I've, All along have paid the Infernal Advance upgrade because I'm going I'm going infantry heavy. I'm trying to get all the synergies I can. And uh, as I said, having a lot of fun, but not necessarily winning a lot of games. But I mean, the thing about it is, is that that's a synergy, right? It's for 20 points. I'm going to get Strider and a six inch aura on the right battlefield in the right terrain. It's it's well worth it. I actually like him. I have found a lot of use for him in, in my list. Yeah, I've
1: played around with him with Wings of Honey Maze, where you get turns them into a 10 flyer, where you can go play around with the backfield and, and hero hunt and reject war engine hunt. And I've played around with them a little bit that way, but I haven't used them very much.
4: For me, um, when I had more infantry heavy list, I tended to do either take the in- infernal advance, but the other option would be to give him a surge or another source of surge uh, or bane chant if you can get him to chant and then improve your infantry. But once again, that, that option, he's more of a support. You're not really trying to commit him. Uh, if you take Infernal Advance, he can actually go in with them if he needs to. And especially now with uh, current rules, as far as being able to get out and charge other things out of combat, not a bad thing for him uh, to be able to do that. But but that's been kind of my my thing with him. Uh, in a golem list, I run out of points, quite frankly. And and that's that tends to be the problem. But if you're going infantry, or if you're going with you know the ranged mortars, the war machines, he's a great source for uh, a lot of a lot of bills. So yeah, definitely in your infantry-heavy army, he, I'm sure he comes in real handy a lot of times.
1: All right, hexcaster, uh, heavy infantry hero spellcaster one, speed five, melee four, defense five, one attack. He's a fearless eleven for seventy points. Uh, he, uh, you, he has feedback which is basically anytime you get a hit, you roll Pierce one for damaging. Uh, I didn't feel like reading the rest. He has dampening runes, so all the enemy spells need sixes to hit. Comes with hex three. I always run them with weakness three, and I always bring at least one, maybe two of these on my list because the feedback is so good. So you can pluck damage with hex and weakness and then get a nerve check and pop something from the back line. He's just, I love him. I can't speak highly enough of them. Get three of them. They're fantastic.
4: Hexcaster for me, I bring two of them in every list, uh, as Rob knows well. Um, for me, the, the, the genius on it is that our Hex and Weakness does wounds for the Weakness. Uh, you take the Nerve Check, all that fun stuff that the regular Hex does not do. Anybody who's using an army where they're going to be trying to use spells a lot to either Lightning Bolt you to death or... Uh, the other, other options where they're trying to support their troops to whittle down your golems, all of a sudden they can't bane chant, Or if they do, they're gonna pay for it. Uh, unlike a lot of uh, other armies, oh, okay, so you hex me, fine, whatever. I take a bunch of wounds, but you're not ever gonna make me take a nerve check from way back there. Oh, but next turn I hex you again, and now you're taking a nerve check. Um, you know, it doesn't always work, but it's a way to slowly kill off a guy um, I had a necromancer once who got it to like 26 wounds uh, on his successes, and the next turn,
1: boom, gone. And now he has no surge and that holds half of the board. Yeah, i pop many of backline individuals, casters standing on heels doing stuff and just pop them from the back line.
4: Yeah, it's uh, a must against Alchemist Curse, uh, which is what I, when I went to last year's Con, I got torn up by Adep- uh, Alchemist Curse all over the place. And I just said, you know what? I'm bringing the second hex caster because they can hide from one. They couldn't hide from both. Um, I've even thrown a periscope on one of them so he can
1: peek up over and see everything. That'd be good for you, Kelly, behind your infantry? Yes. So you could throw over your infantry. I used to do that on my infantry.
4: The range is long enough on them. You know, 30-inch range, you can reach out and touch. It's not going to do as much damage as the mortars. It's not going to do, but it is enough to kind of say, hey, I'm going to dink that character and kill him. And your whole build is based on that guy. I can kill him from back here. So now you better come up and get me. Because uh, your infantry won't be as effective if, you, if he's not around.
3: I've thought about the the periscope. The other thing I love bringing with them is the conjurer staff, because effectively it gives you another plink wound, and for ten points, it's hard to it's hard to to to, to not take it, right? It's such a great it's such a great item with 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 the feedback capability. I do
4: tend to take one with the tome of darkness, and then the other one is either going to have the staff or the periscope. Depending on, like, if I'm going to a place where everybody's always hindered, I might want to have that periscope, you know, so I can see up over things or over hills or, or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's to me, that's one gets a tome because I need that surge. And then the other one gets either the conjurer staff because that's what we really want. Make sure we weakness that. And then it's, it's so useful to have both. Uh, I know a lot of people just, you know, drop, get the one, but for me, I can. Against a Magic Heavy Army, hey, I got Hex all day. I'm going to stop you doing what you want to do, or as much as I can. Uh, if you, you're you a Monster Heavy list, weakness all, weakness day. all day. It's not going to make as big a difference because you're big in monsters. You know, crush, crush 3 to Crush 2 isn't that huge a difference. But against Defense 6, it matters. And I'm Defense 6, so that matters to me. But anybody who's Crush 1... Now you got to weed through four units of golems, two greater obsidian golems, and all my characters are defense five, and you have no crushing with you know two units a turn, and it gets a lot worse for them when you do that, that one little change, you know. And also, uh, you know, a lot of people sit up on a hill, get the thunders, weakness them, hit them with weakness right off the bat. That helps. Take them if you're infantry heavy list, yeah. Throw a periscope on one, see, you know how much you ruin some, you know, lightning bolt. Magic Ogre's day. You just go, oh, boom, oh, gotcha. Now for the highlight of the day. So now we're getting to the Abyssal Halfbreed Champion. Uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, Hero Cav. Uh, he is Speed 8, uh, Melee 3, Defense 5, which you know would be great if the regular Halfbreeds had. He has 6 attacks, 12, 14 Nerve. Uh, he has Crushing Strength 2. He's individual, inspiring, and mighty. He also has Regeneration 5 and Vicious. You do have to come up with Fury manipu- uh, mitigation for it because I don't think he has fury, right? Or is that right? It's only the half breeds who get it now at this time. So other than that, I have so many times had people come in and hit him thinking he's going to die, and he doesn't. He will get wavered quite a bit. So you know, getting some some manipulation there is good. Other options you can put uh what beastlayer on him and go hunting for things he can take out. Other characters very quickly. Anytime he goes in and helps a a golem unit, you know, it it really adds up. He is crushed two, hitting on threes, you know, most of the time he's going to do four hits. With Vicious, he's going to wound you three or four times almost every time. Just add those wounds in to most things, you know, maybe a little bit less on defense six, but anything else is going to be even more. A lot of the times, you know, Brian can tell you with those golems, you hit somebody and you're at, you know, you need a five and you roll that darn four, well, if he had been in there, you would have killed that unit. He just fills so many rolls, and he can basically point any direction, 16 inches, go get I've it.
1: I've used him a couple times. Again, I haven't used him a bunch. You're selling me on him. To, if I would be switching to armies, I'd probably try him out more. Uh, but I have a couple painted. I've played around with them, but I, I haven't had that much success with them. But they, they, I've played around with them with the item that gives them duelists, so I can go like, individual hunting. So, you get 12 attacks on individuals, just run through the back line and start popping stuff. That's what I've used him for. Uh, but he, he seems a solid value for the points for me from when I played with him.
4: I have actually, strangely enough, used him as chaff sometimes. Just get in the way stop somebody from hitting me with this really big thing normally it's to line up so i can get a golem surge in their flank you know basically give them b- bad option they could f- you know if they kill him, they f- turn and face one of the one of the golem units and the other one's going to get them in the flank if they don't kill him which is likely a lot of things don't can't kill him one, one turn then all of a sudden i, I can flank him with two things so if it's a really big cherry legion who's big and unwieldy throw him out there he's going to die but then i'm going to get a flank off whichever way they face so i have used them that way too a uh, duelist and him hunting characters. There's not a lot of characters who are going to take him out. And if they do a lot of wounds to him and don't kill him off, he's going to regenerate. You know, there's been many times where he gets hit at the beginning, second, third turn of the game, and then all of a sudden at the end of the, the game, he's still there, and now he has all of his wounds.
3: You know, it's funny. I don't think there's a game I've ever played without at least, I mean, without a half-breed champion. I think I, I like him that much. It's a good source of inspiring if I try to have a faster part of the army. I just think he's he's really well priced for what he does, and I definitely always take him. You know, again, kind of for for me at least, I had an, an interesting, and I guess we could we could jump. I I like comparing him to the grotesque champion, just like I was comparing the half breeds versus the grotesque. So I'll, I'll jump into the grotesque champion and and do that. So the grotesque champion is speed seven, melee three plus, defense five plus nerve 12 14 so the same nerve 140 points so only five, just five point difference and has five attacks instead of six and the grotesque champion has brutal crushing strength two nimble regeneration five plus thunderous charge one and vicious melee and you know if i had the points if i don't have enough points i'll always bring a half breed champion if i have the points i like to bring one of each Because I like the fact that the grotesque champion is large cavalry, and it's going to give me that double attacks in the flank and triple attacks in the rear. Uh, I I think that's a big deal. For a long time, I ran double half-breed champions, but then I said, no, I think it's better to run one of one and one of the other, because then you... You, you, you're looking for opportunities with the grotesque champion to get into the flank or potentially in, into the rear.
4: The only advantage as far as that stuff goes that the half champion has is that he's an individual, so he can do the free turn first, whereas the grotesque champion cannot. He's going to hit harder, assuming that his thunder is just not stripped or, or removed somehow. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the grotesque champion is, is, is far more useful comparatively than the unit compared to the you know what I mean, as far as I'm concerned. For the points, you know, you lose one attack, but you gain harder hits, basically. So I really do like the Grotesque Champion. For me, once again, the whole reason I wanted to do the army was the halfbreeds. so to me, that Champion is just amazing. But he's an individual, so I get a free spin and then get to the move, versus the Grotesque. I need to make sure I line him up right for the next turn. That's the difference between... The, the five points, you know, that you the disadvantage to him. That's the only the only difference, really.
3: So has anybody ever seen a Supreme Iron Caster on Great Wing Halfbreed at a tournament? <laughs>
1: because, I have the model back here if you want to see it.
3: <laughs> well, I have the model from you know the old uh, Chaos Dwarf days, and I love it, but I can't figure out any world in which that makes sense to breathe. Maybe I'm just dumb, you know? It's like I
2: cannot figure Kelly, it out. Kelly, it's a bigger problem with just dragons in general, big giant. Griblies that are three hundred points, they just—they're only unit strength one, and they're just hard to earn their points back. Well, not only like that, but he's a spellcaster dragon. Even worse, right? He's not offensive.
4: <laughs> Can't commit him to hand in combat, and he only has eight attacks anyway. So now he's just a flyer spellcaster. Which, okay, mobile spellcasting, okay, I get that. But at the same time, I'm now paying for a dragon that is kind of a light dragon, and Isn't really getting me the return uh, as far as like tournament play. Now for fun play, all day long, he's a lot of fun. Uh, We actually use him in our big game, and uh, he hops around and does a bunch of fun stuff. But as soon as they commit him, he dies. You know, and and in a tournament army, it'd be the same thing. I mean, dragons have that problem in general in tournaments, right? You know, you have to make sure you choose the right moment to use them, uh, because most decent players are going to make you pay for it by killing that dragon off the next turn. Or at least really wounding it to the point where, it, you know, isn't going to go and do anything else but die the next turn. This one has that and spades, and really you're paying 270 points for a caster to have
1: movement. In my opinion, for a lot of it. yeah, I've never used them, For all those reasons, I'm like, I don't see how he fits.
4: You know, if he's one or the other, that's fine. But because he's trying to do both, he's not optimal for an army that's already got so many points problems.
3: I mean, again, I just kind of look at him and I go, I don't even know how they could ever fix him. I I just don't know how you can spend that many points, and he does neither particularly well. I mean, he's a perfectly reasonable caster, but you can get the iron caster for 180 points cheaper, right? And you can put Wings of the Honey Maze on him and fly him around just as well. I mean, if he could use two spells every turn. Make him a better caster, right? Do something. that Put less into the magic or make it so he can do
4: his spells in combat. You know, type thing. But I mean, unless he can do that, exactly. I really don't see how you yeah. fix it, you know, because even making them cheaper, yeah. you're still going to have the same problem. He's trying to do two things.
3: And you can only go half as far when you cast yeah. your magic, right? I mean, it's like you can't you don't even get the major advantage yeah. out of the fly because you can only go half to half as far. It's kind of I will say, you know, we were talking about dragons. I've played for a while with the overmaster on on ancient mm-hmm. half breed. And I actually liked that model. I, I, I mean, I like that unit. I like the model too. But I mean, I, I like the unit. And and I think the biggest thing that I think that it makes him better than most dragons, he's got regen 5+. And when you're 17-19 Nerve, you're actually going to get the benefit of that regen most yeah. times. You're going to get a couple of regen rolls before you're killed. And he does a decent job of what he does, right? Nine attacks, crushing strength 3. And then vicious, which always helps, and he's he's melee three plus and defense five plus. So I've played him. I like him. I think the challenge with him, from my perspective, is that well, what do you combine him with, right? You know, we're kind of back to what mobile elements do you want to put in the army? You're not going to combine him with a golem based army. You're not going to combine him with my infantry based army. So what? You know, what type of army's left that he actually fits in particularly
1: well? and That's, that's my quite... problem I have with, with the army with most of the fast units. We don't have enough of them for me to focus an army in that path. And I feel like my fast guys in out on islands yep. and just get crushed because I can't help support them because the rest of my army is trudging along at force. I mean, the, the
4: the thing about him is he is 300 points, and you're basically buying him to fulfill the same role as your gargoyle unit. Sit over on the side. And hope somebody gives you a flank or hope somebody gets tied in with your golems and then you get an easy flank. But you've got 300 points sitting there for how many turns waiting for that opportunity. And when he comes in, even in the flank, he only has 18 attacks. Whereas I can buy a golem unit for 18 attacks, put him on my main battle line and he's going to help all the other units around him. And it's cheaper. And he, you know, they shoot. So for me, I like the model. I like playing around with it. But at the same time, for the points... Once again, he doesn't have anything special as far as like Rampage or Slayer. He doesn't have any fury mitigation. He is waverable. So some of the advantage of being a, a 19 goes away. He's not, you know, bad. Don't get me wrong. You can definitely use him. But if you're trying to optimize your build, all he is is going to be a, a waste of points out on the flank. Or as, as you know, you were saying, he's going to be an island way out in the, in the middle of nowhere who's going to get killed. He will last longer than a lot of stuff, dragons-wise, because of the regeneration. You're right. But it's still going to be two turns and he's going to be in danger of being gone. You know, instead of one, maybe it's two turns. And you, you flank him and wound him, and now he's not flying away anyway. So, you know, he's trapped in whatever whenever you do commit him. So it's 300 points that you're holding off and holding off and holding off to commit at one special point that you have to hope your opponent gives you. To make him pay for himself, right? Because you got to find a 300 point unit to go out and kill to get your points back, because you may not survive that next turn.
3: And I still just can't see, you know, again, um, him being him synergizing well with with the kind of armies that that I think we're building, right? Again, it's an interesting question. You know, I, I've mentioned before, sort of a hammer and anvil, and that's where I initially started with Chaos Dwarves. And I think that's a type of army that people know pretty well, but I'm not sure that it's that effective, right? I don't know that it's that, that effective in maybe Kings of War or period. But then that's what you'd have to build, right? Because having him by himself doesn't make any sense. Having him with, say, a unit of half-breeds and a unit of abyssal grotesques and, and maybe another fast unit, all of a sudden, well, you've got a fast element to your army but I'm not sure that that's going to work great.
4: And the problem is that really in a lot of ways the Abyssal Dwarves, whether you're you're the infantry version or the Golem version, tend to be anvil on anvil. We don't really have hammers. We have two anvils we're going to grind you between. That fast, maneuverable unit that you could make with him and say some gargoyles and say some half breeds on the flank takes away so many points. You don't now no longer have enough in the middle for your
1: anvils. So you only have one and you have, all, you're not grinding no more. You only have an anvil yeah. that's getting crushed while that stuff's getting picked off the flank.
4: Yeah. Now we play a big game, say 6,000 points. Oh yeah. He has a, he has a really good spot that I can figure out a way to use them in, but I have enough points that I'm buying a big square anvil. I'm buying my rubbing anvils that are going to grind them down and then I can buy him on the side. That's a really big game. Not everybody wants to play that way, and you can't really do tournaments that well too too often, right? Um, I think there's one in England that does 3,000-point games, but I don't know of any big tournaments like that, right? Though Kings of War is a great game for big games. Obviously, I do the big game at 25,000 points aside, and we finish in, you know, four and a half, five hours with people who have no idea what they're doing when they start. So, but, but my point is, you just run out of points trying to do it. And if you do that really cool, fast unit, you can't spam it, it costs too much. You know, you can't have both flags filled fill with that and have anything left in the center. You just can't. So that's that's the only problem is you run out of points. You know, cool model really come in handy a lot of times but yeah
1: just too many points all right so we're gonna go to i guess i'll pick up the, we only have like two guys i think left so we just one of our named guys Baraki barca he's basically the named half free champion so uh, legendary speed eight melee three defense five uh six attacks fourteen sixty nerve but 200 points crush three individual mighty regen five vicious and he has something called bardu basically he has very fire against dread. i've never used this guy or the one we got left because they're just so expensive And I don't see why he's worth that much more points than the half-breed champion when I've looked at it personally.
4: His extra crushing strength is good and all. The dread is really kind of the important thing. Very inspiring. He could take over a whole flank. So I understand why individually, if you look at his points and what he does comparatively, yes, I think the 145 to 200 leap is not that poor. Obviously, I'd love to see him at like 190, 195. But I don't think it's too poor based on what you're getting the problem is how do you make him work within the army at that point value once again we this is a refrain and and we told rob even before we started recording we were going to say this a lot but you keep running out of points you keep running out of options and this guy is good and he does have things that the half free champion can't do but is it worth losing what two-thirds of a mastiff unit you know is it worth losing like um one of the things i should have talked about before and we'll talk about in our list but you throw any any magic items on your golem units and you're just making them more expensive there are certain items that are really good on golem units you know and in a lot of ways sometimes just taking them bare is the best way to go you know just take them with a charnox and no items at all whatever but there is occasional use for certain items on those golems you need those points and if you're spending it on him instead of a half-free champion I'd much rather get the half-breed champion and still have that unit you know be thing so you kind of run out of points um and bazuzu the vial is the same basic thing as far as that goes uh, the gargoyle uh, heavy infantry champion speed 10 melee three defense five um it's a uh, seven attacks at 14 16 nerve for 210 points uh height is only two this has crushing two fly Individual, Inspiring, Mighty, and Regeneration 5. And then it also makes one of your Gargoyle units the Bazuzu Vile Brood, which gains Abomination keyword, Crushing Strength 1, Special Rule, and increases their waiver and Route Nerve values by plus 2 for
1: 25 points. For a unit I want to die anyway, and you just made Bazuzu cost 235 points. That, that never added up for me, personally.
4: And even if it came with it, even if you didn't have to pay the 25 points for the unit to get upgraded, even if you were spamming gargoyles as much, you know, bring as many gargoyles as you can, it's only going to affect one unit, right? Uh, at 235 points, um, having one unit with crushed one and she has crushed two or uh, has crushed two. Is that really worth it compared to the synergies where we've already talked about our two main builds? You know, we have a third one, which is the the rockets and the artillery, but your two main builds are your infantry heavy and your, golem heavy where does that fit in you know especially for units like you said you want to die as chaff well now you're trying to make that
1: unit into a you're wavered in my way mate.
4: yeah but 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 not only that but you're trying to make them into like a powerful flanker don't get me wrong if you once again this is another one of those things you're playing in a really big game and you know you're going to be facing a bunch of war machines this makes sense throw it in there, throw them across the board, get my triple attacks, kill off war machines left to right. Okay. At a normal tournament level,
1: where do you get the points for it? Anyway, sorry, that's just me uh, on that one. On the same page about Bususu. But he is a cool model. I know I keep pulling models out. I haven't painted them yet, but that's the model for Basusu.
2: <laughs> so is that all the units?
1: I think that's it, yeah.
2: All right, well, it's time for another commercial break. And on the other side, we're going to get into a little bit of list construction and how this army would play in the competitive environment. We will be right back i'm grant alexander from the Bexley reapers and you're listening to counter charge welcome back to counter charge let's start with this question effective army composition what do you guys think this army needs to use to work to be competitively
1: golems so you're saying d6 d6 a lot that's how i play it D6, and we've talked about that when we're going through the armies a lot it seems like this group we have focused on two main compositions Gollum heavy, infantry heavy, because that's enough synergies to make it work.
3: I, I don't know. I mean, again, you know, we, we've talked here for a while and I, I don't know that there's another, I don't know. There's another way to go. I let, let me knock a couple off. Right. So one of them that I'll knock off is a gun line. I don't think abyssal dwarfs do a gun line. Well, we talked about that briefly when we were talking about um, the war machines. They don't have anything that's got any decent range. Really? I mean, 12 inches is useful. And, um, it, you know, Brian was talking about how he'd use his decimators, but that, that's not a gun line. So if they don't do gun lines well. We know they don't do uh, Alpha Strike well. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, and what? And again, I, I brought up the archetype, as I call it, of a hammer and anvil. And I don't know that that works well either. Uh, I, I didn't have a lot of success with it, and, right? And, and, and Blake has said that, no, as he described it a few minutes ago, you're not going to have the mass that you need in your line. And then I guess that leaves the one archetype we haven't talked about, but actually I think it's in both of the two we have been talking about, which is grinding, right? I think the Army does grind well, but basically that's what the Golem Army does. The do Golem or, is a
1: grind.
2: Yeah, it, it plays attrition up. better than many Armies. high defense access to regen, access to heal. It's hard to kill you or hard to damage some of those units. And once they're damaged, you guys have tons of ways to put those wounds back. In that scenario, you're not really killing the opponent. You're just out living them.
1: That's my goal every turn: right? Live long and hope I'm in the right position to get the objective tokens.
2: (laughs) But it's a good segue into, you know, what scenario do you guys play well at? Because what it tells me is that in a lot of scoring systems, you are going to have a hard time killing stuff. Unless you get the you know, someone that's not really maybe maybe if you get a if you get a good surge in a flank, then yeah, that's gonna be helpful. But hitting on fours I mean the golems have the crushing too, but hitting on fours we wound well, we don't hit well. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. I mean, whatever
4: we hit, we're gonna hurt. The problem is hitting it. When we get to my army list, you'll see uh, anything that's
2: hindered. Now you're hit on five. Ask Brian how many times I just stand in the woods and go. Go ahead, bring the golems in.
1: Rob, Rob lives in the difficult terrain we play because he knows I'm to hit on fives and I'm not going to hurt him.
2: That's
4: right, and and our hope is counter charge. You know that, but but once again that comes to we can't go in and get you because then we're at a disadvantage. We really need to do a counter charge on you and we need to stay in a battle line. Yeah, we're still defense six in the in the side, but we can't overcome the amount of hits you're going to get to us if you hit us in the flank, and that's the the problem. We're literally a man up, man up grind we do well any other scenario we do poorly you know as
2: far as that stuff goes and the fact that a lot of your stuff is fearless is is helpful as well right because the yeah the fearless is a big thing it keeps you in there it keeps you in there for that one turn that maybe you would have been popped or wavered and my hope is i can now bring somebody else in to help me
4: mitigate you or help me kill you right i'm hoping to last that one extra turn and then make you pay for it which is why I think you are kind of limited to these two armies. We had different ranges on the decimators and the charnox, or even increase the
2: amount of tax on the charnox. You could start doing a shooting list of sorts. Yeah, if you had eighteen-inch range shooting, like heart piercers, it's a different army at that point.
4: I'd even do fifteen. Give me fifteen. I'll take it. You know, it's just enough that they can't. You know, most things can't hover outside a charge range, and and shooting range. I just want to be able to affect you in that little three-inch zone behind 12 inches where everybody tries
1: to camp out because I can only charge 10. Yeah, because that's a key point because with your char knocks, a lot of troops can outcharge us, so we have to move in range of their charge to shoot them. So then they double charge back at us.
4: Yeah, I could surge a little bit with a unit and then shoot you, but then I've broken up my own battle line
2: i giving you a flank somewhere. The other problem with Surge is that you don't know the distance going into the dice throw. And so sometimes you're like, oh, it's all scattered. Yeah, right? it's all scattered. You've broken
4: up your line. The range is a big deal. If it could be even 15 inches, I'd take it, you know, just as just the difference. Or keep it the same and maybe give the Charnax more shots. It is affected by cover. Give it more shots. That would be a different option. But it, it's not there. It's not in the list. So we are restricted away from that. Back down to, you know, as I say, anvil on anvil golems or you know the 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 infantry trying to sort in and hopefully maybe bane chant turn it into a hammer and, and get in with a horde but even Des- decimators wonderful unit on its own what 25 dice 12 inches, short range, okay, we can make use of it, but we're making use of it. We're not destroying, you know, you know, you can't use it as as a basis because it's too expensive to take five hordes of decimators, you know, because there's a whole lot of armies that can literally sit in the background, just go bink, 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 kill off your characters, you know, stuff away from you, and then you're, you're never going to move far enough while trying to shoot to get to where you need to be to take up a lot of things, you know, and, and the, the, the danger we have is certain scenarios were poor. Well, like
1: what I love to see dominate. 'Cause I could just put my wall in the middle, bring it. <laughs> Anytime you know where they need to be, that's a good thing, right? Even control, I don't mind. Yeah. Even I, control, I don't mind if I get to go first, because then I can move to the center line and then I'm fast enough to to grind it out and then shift into the quadrants to steal it. Man. Yeah. But if you get something like loot but has eight tokens all over the board, I'm used. To, I will play playing for the draw.
4: Stevie Malone and uh Dan Tamarack, both really good players, both wrecking. Not the best matchup for our army at all. Because they just have so many different units spread around and they can dink us and concentrate on things. Had to play Steven in a loot scenario. Knew I pretty much had no chance. Took a risk, did a long surge, and tried to make it into a draw or or, or you know, maybe a, a steal. But that's that was my only hope. I played Dan in Dominate. And between that and my hexes, where he couldn't do his spells, all of a sudden that scenario became very hard for him. You know, and I lucked out in the end and, and got it. But it's because of the scenario against that army versus a, a loot is very difficult. And I love control because I'm old school and I love control. And, and you know, Rob knows I love control because I've done it twice in a, in a tournament that I run. But at the same time, I actually really like that scenario for my army. Concentrate in the center, then move out at the end phase to, to claim the zones. Uh, as I said earlier, you can use a surge to get a unit over there and change the, the tone on them. Once you get used to what your army is capable of, that's an easier scenario. There are certain other scenarios you never want to see. It's really
2: worth bringing up that your base size, for like a center like Dominate, you know, your 150 by 100 is your horde, right? And another reason why not to bring the, the hordes of Black Soul, right? You can build some efficient builds that have good small footprints with strong uh, you know, reasonable amounts of unit strength, which you can pinpoint to certain spots on the board so dominate certainly is probably the best you loot's probably your worst you pick up a token now you can't be searched well that's that's your stick now now the one thing that you've got in your back pocket you can't do if you're going to pick up you know the token with the golems for example
1: yeah a horror story about loot is i played devlin smith at the sh- at a tournament in loot, he goes first he scouts up he takes a token and runs away i lost the game turn one because I can never catch back up; it was already over.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I and I imagine invade yeah. can be tougher too, right? Just because you've got to get your the bulk of your army over, and 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 if the other person, you know, what I like to do with my ogres against Brian is I'll just sit right there. Once it gets Clock close the to the line, I slam the seas breakers in, and we just hold it on your side of the table, right? And then the hope is, you know, my my defense six, which hits on threes and his defense six, which is on fours, I win that grind. Now, he's got other things he can do. He can surge and stuff like that. But the trick is, I mean, you guys talk to this. I mean, you're getting punched mostly first, right? You're not being the one to deliver the punch. And because of that, it's helpful, you know, and I'm not saying alpha strike, but just being able to make that first, second, or third turn charge on your side of the table is hard. And, and you know, I guess the the things like pillage, you know, token, token control control, like that where you've got objective tokens i mean you guys aren't bad right i mean you guys have got strong unit strength that's, that's going to survive the problem that i have well the problem I, I i would maybe have playing your army is if there's seven tokens the last thing i want is an army that's all spread out <laughs> because then my auras and my units you know am i inspiring and all am my heal it's all over the place
1: and it's not where it needs to be well, you know how when I when you and I play tokens, you see what I always do. I stack all my tokens on one side of the board. You hope to roll that side, and I hope. I, and I'll, I'll push it to you know sixty six percent of the of the map on one side. And if you place one on one side, then I place mine to that side. And it gives me enough tokens on that side of the board where I can shift my deployment and focus on that side and go for the draw or the late win. That's usually what I'm thinking.
2: Well, that's interesting, too, you bring that up, Brian, because that's the other thing about this army that I think that maybe we should talk about is in normal scoring systems that are out there, like Blackjack, really hard for this army to compete because there's, first of all, we've already talked about maybe the kill dynamic. You don't kill well. You wound well, but you don't hit well. And so that translates into it's hard. It's a grind for you to do it. The, the, The second piece, though, is that in Blackjack, it's the margin of victory. That you're, how many tokens more than you did I take? That's gonna And so you're not winning by four tokens. You're winning by one token. You're winning by two token. And, and, and a lot of times if you're playing something like loot, you said it best, but play, you're playing with your hands tied behind your back and you're playing at a concession. You're going, I'm just hoping to get, I'm hoping to get this one and give myself a chance to get this one. But there's no way you're getting all three. So, you, you know, the chance for you to land a blackjack is very low. Not only that, we don't have enough
4: units. To kill through. Not only do we not kill very well, like our elite, uh, somebody else's elite, we don't kill very well. We grind well, but we don't kill very well. When we have to kill it to destroy it, or we're gonna get it surrounded, we're gonna hit them and then we're gonna get surrounded. We don't, we don't kill it, destroy it, then turn to face so that they can't get into a flank on us. We, we don't do that. But then again, like Rakkin or any other horde army or a uh, multiple small unit armies, I can't chew through multiple small units because I don't have enough units. So you grab that loot token, you throw it on a unit behind. You know, you drop it, pick it up on a unit behind you. You run, run off into the background, and I have to fight somebody. I'm not going to be able to fight them, kill them, charge through, and catch that other unit
1: because I'm slow. Yeah, I was trying to play those type of troops against people like Kyle and Dan locally that have Goblin and Ratkin armies, where they just keep throwing more stuff in my yep. way, and I can't kill enough to get through yep. it. So I'm just they just chaff me up with everything, and I lost certain scenarios. I just can't burn through.
4: And meanwhile, they're running off with the, the token where you're never going to catch it because they've moved, you know, twice your distance in four turns in two.
2: You know, they're gone. And you know what else you guys love to see? Ensnare. God help you if you're hindered. One of the things we really didn't touch a lot on is terrain. You're already slow. And then there's a bunch of difficult terrain that you've got to get through. I mean, and now the caterpillar has gone. Go ahead, Brian. So you're chomping.
1: You you know, my favorite thing to do is find me a, a, a blockable piece of terrain. And I anchor my line on that blockable piece of terrain and I shift the whole battle line that way. So I know I got this flank covered. The swinging door. I credit swinging door. I'm like, come on, let's fight. Because a lot of time, if you get a bunch of hills, I can't take advantage of hills that much because I'm not fast enough. So I love blocking terrain. Difficult terrain kills us because we hit on fours. You know, none of our units hit on threes except our immortal guards.
4: That's bread and butter for golems, you know, and especially if I can use that blocking terrain to prevent them from being double charged. If I can get somebody who's got a horde who wants a horde and a regiment or a horde and even a character, and I can use blocking terrain so that they can only fit one unit in, you know, that is that
1: is exactly what I want on those golems. And then also check aboard your, your line so you can't get double charged by hordes in the middle, double charges on your grader and try to stop. Because as we said, we got a counterattack. So if we let them double charge a grader, he's going to die. or we have to. It's rough.
4: Use that terrain that way. But we're at the disadvantage on things like hills, because most of the time, I mean, unless the hill is right in front of you, you're not going to get to the hill first. They're going to be on the hill. They're going to be getting in the thunderous to add to your damage.
1: And we're high fours so they can see us over the hill.
4: Difficult terrain. Well, we hit on fours. Now we're hitting on fives. It's bad. And, and we're slow, and now we're slower. For infantry, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter to the golems, right? They're shambling. No, no, that's right. That's right. So they don't care. But but for you, yes, your infantry heavy army, you're going to Memphis, Kings of Memphis and you're always hindered. Well, guess what? You're going to slog even slower now. You're at speed
1: four. And you don't want to play on the bridge board.
3: You know, that that takes you, what, four turns before you can cross the center line, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, if it's a thickly – I mean, again, there's two – there's a great – I think there's a big advantage to us and a big disadvantage, and you've heard both. I mean, the big advantage is when you've got blocking terrain and you can anchor your line. And I think we do that a lot because we want to shorten a line, or, or uh, you know, again, it, 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 uh, fight on only two thirds of the map, or whatever the case may be. But, but I tell you, if there's a lot of of difficult terrain in the middle of the board, and and I'm trying to shove my infantry across it at four
1: inches a turn, it,
3: it gets unpleasant. You know, it just really gets unpleasant.
1: And speaking of terrain, I've played a couple of tournaments with a, a, pl- a plot deployment where we we deploy the yep. stuff. And when a guy knows what they're doing, playing against me, they do exactly what you just said against your infantry. They chug up the whole middle of the board with difficult yep. terrain. So all of a sudden our army becomes even slower.
4: Or, or you have to play, you know, somewhere where there's a jungle board, you know. Um and, and you get put in there. Or the or the bridge map. Uh, did you remember the bridge map at Oh yeah, no no no. But I got put on a jungle board against against Taylor, I think, right? Was it Taylor or somebody else? It was it was abyssal doors on abyssal doors on a jungle board. I had no problem with it. I was Gollum's. It basically didn't really affect me that much. He had some black souls, I think, in there as well, and it affected him a lot more to, to your point, Colin. So what
2: you're saying is terrain mitigation is take the shambling stuff.
4: Well, I mean they took away potion, right? Caterpillar's gone. So you only have one real mitigation anyway, right?
1: And that's one turn. To point to Kelly. Kelly, that's kind of why I started gravitating towards Golems, because terrain doesn't affect my slow army even more. That's one of the reasons I started going that way. Well, and it's
3: interesting because, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I pay for the Overmaster upgrade, which is to give me Strider, but Strider's not Pathfinder. And so I'm crawling across the board. It, it, you know, I mean, it is what it is, but it's, yeah, I... You know, and it's an interesting, I think it's an interesting statement to TOs, right? The tournament organizers of the world. Terrain matters. Terrain, you you can significantly advantage or disadvantage particular types of armies by how you put down terrain and how much terrain you put down and all that stuff. And we all know that, but it's actually, sometimes I think, I I don't know. I I just think, you know, there's kind of like a fair amount of terrain and potentially an unfair amount
2: of terrain is really what it boils down to. Tied to the scenario, right? You put blocking terrain by the the dominate circle. Now the circle's half the size it should be. So yeah, it it, it is important, right? Uh, And also I think you're doing a good point, Kelly. I I think the other thing is it's not just the amount of trains, the size of the train, like, so it's the size of the pieces, but also it depends on which scenario you're playing, and the scoring system matters. So, at King of Memphis, we do not have we do not have attrition or kill points this year. It doesn't matter. You don't have to kill stuff. You just got to win. You just got to win the scenario. The bigger you win the scenario, the more points you get. Which again, we talked about could be an issue, but at least you're not doubly disadvantaged. Oh, I'm not going to be able to win pillage by four tokens. I'm only going to win by one or two. Oh, and I'm not going to win on the attrition battle.
4: Rob, it, it matters what you're trying to go for. Like, when you're doing Kings of Memphis, you're trying to challenge people. I mean, your tagline about be always being hindered there, uh, you know, you're presenting people with special boards that may be detrimental
2: to their army. Yeah, at least they, at least they know going in, right? That's the big thing. They, they, they've seen the boards. They're not going to change.
1: Yeah, right? we won't get surprised. No, well, you know, might not, of- Brian. Yeah, so, yeah, you've
2: been there a couple times now. Uh, you know, I think while we were talking about units, we touched on some interesting magical artifacts. Is there anything we overlooked in terms of... I mean, obviously, J-boots is a big one, right? Because that's the one thing that's remaining. And, you know, Kelly brought up a good point that Strider is not Pathfinder. Well, now the boots of Striding, you know, the Jesse's boots, gives you a turn of Pathfinder and Strider, which we haven't had before. And I haven't seen anybody use it, but if you have a unit that can make use of it, now I can go at the double through difficult terrain.
1: Magic items, like, must take, is in my mind, is the infantry... Uh, if you take the formation, Sacred Horn. If you uh, you have to take it, in my opinion, Conjuring Staff or a Periscope on the Hexcasters. Like, that stuff I just always do. I, if I got points, I'll throw Pipes of Terror on one of my, on my Golem Hordes, you know, to give him brutal, stuff like that. But I tend to not use a lot of items in this army, because I don't have the points to pay for them.
2: Your stuff is expensive, and so it's boys over toys, right?
4: For one Golem Unit, I have started taking Blessing of the Gods. It's very expensive, but basically, it's the unit I want to be hindered, because even when I'm hindered,
2: I'm still hitting on force. Well, you, you blessing of the gods? Or, or you mean you mean brewer's sharpness? Sorry, brewer's sharpness. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Brewer's sharpness, yeah. sorry, yeah. Bruce sharpness is, is an alternative, right, to caterpillar, because you're always hitting plus one. So you assume, yeah.
4: So basically, I'm a, take brewer's sharpness, put that on my middle unit, that's in the hopefully in the terrain or buried in the terrain. Even when I'm going through the terrain or charging, I'm still hitting on fours. And then if I catch you out in the open, I'm hitting on threes. And then you're like ogres. The
1: yeah. other thing I used to do with Brew Sharpness, and this is a Kelly pointer for infantry armies, if you stick Brew Sharpness on one of your horde of black souls, then you have black souls hitting on threes with elite ambitions yeah. for like 225. It's pretty. It, it's a grinder if it can get on stuff.
3: And I agree. I mean, obviously, you know, when you're paying for those high high-priced artifacts, you want to get the most benefit out of them. So you want to put them on the item, you want to put them on the unit that's got the most attacks. I I've kind of semi fallen in love with hammer of measured force for mm-hmm. the same unit. Right? Same same sort of thing, I mean, but different. I mean, we understand. Obviously, hitting on fours when they're defense four doesn't
2: do you mm-hmm. any good.
3: But 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 nonetheless, it's like either of those two items are a good buy for, I think,
2: for the Black Souls horde. Well, let's chat a little about, do you want to go first? I think I know the answer, but do you guys want to go first or do you guys want to go second?
1: Uh, that's easy. First all day, every day. You and I play often. If you go first, what you do with all your speed, you just box me in. And then I'm first turn, I barely, I, I always go first if possible.
2: I'll be honest, actually, I often do second, depending upon the scenario.
1: I would love to insight the why, because I always choose third.
2: Well, I guess it would depend too on the opponent, right? If the opponent doesn't have speed.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Your scenario and your opponent matter. But for me, I always like having the last half of the turn, only because, like I said, so many times you can kind of change the, the end effect by surging that golem unit into that board quarter and changing it. Or, as I said earlier, I have two fireballs on my Dravik and my Ironcaster, and all of a sudden, oh, that character or that unit strength one guy that he's using to hold an objective, I burn it away. It's gone. And I prefer my, the way I've always played since, you know, I was young. I always wanted to have the last turn, the last, the last chance of doing stuff. So I still do it. There are certain scenarios where I want to get up and get moving. And invade is, you know, a perfect one where first turn, more than likely I'm going first. If it's um, somebody who's got a heavy shooting army, but it's all short range you know i want him to go first and get within my range first so i'll let him go first so it, it just kind of depends but i a lot of the
3: time go second you know when i'm going into tournaments for me i would just say you know i, I mentioned earlier that i'm i'm buying those three mortars given that that and given the general slowness of the army I, i'm almost always going first right clearly i want to shoot first if i can and i want to get across the board and establish some sort of board position but, you know, I really hadn't thought about it. It's like it. it it's like uh, uh, Brian and I just remarked in the chat. It Really, if you have a lot of surge, wow, you can do a lot of funky things <laughs> at the end of the game.
1: Yeah, if your casters make it and your golems are alive, you can do some craziness.
3: At the end of the t- turn, they're so concentrated on an objective.
4: Or, you know, I'm hoping that they're so concentrated on an objective, they don't realize they opened up a door for like a long surge. Or... They, they're counting on this horde that has 15 wounds to claim an objective. And I have nothing around that can challenge it. But I do have two guys within 12 inches that can burn them off the table. Now they lose that objective. And say, I have two, and they only have one other one. They're playing for a draw. Well, now it's a win my way. And, you know, unfortunately, in some ways, you play a lot of wins are kind of stolen in that last turn or last
1: phase. A lot of games I enter expecting a draw, and try to steal the win at the end is how I'm thinking.
4: And and that's, I think, part of our whole anvil-anvil, amble, amble, high-expensive point cost balance that we have to fight with or play. We're not going out to decimate our opponent. As Rob, you said, in blackjack with a difference engine, we are not an advantage in that whole scoring system. It's all about I'm going to narrowly grind you away, and I'm going to outlast you. So I'm going to grind to a win. And I have to, um, you know, I put a whole lot, when we get to army list, I put a whole lot of points into my characters. I would love not to spend the points on the characters because I'm already so expensive on the other stuff. But I use those characters very well in the end phase to change things, to kill off units at the end, uh, to get an extra lucky surge, to surge to to an objective or to a control center or, you know, whatever. Because I use those characters so well in turn five and turn six, you know, I, I, I got to have them around to be able to pull that stuff off at the end. Uh, that's that's how I've been playing them anyway for the
2: last you know nine months or so. Well, let's jump into the question: Is this army new player friendly?
1: Hundred percent, yes. I, I, that's what I started with. It, it like you and I've talked before. It it made you. It's forgiving in a way. If I make a movement wrong, my stuff is stout enough to survive the, the mistake, so I can then react and learn. Versus, if I had a bunch of B four, not a defensive main line, and I make a mistake with a flank, I get crushed. And it made me very aware of how to deal with flyers. So, as a faster army, I know how to expect now. I see flyers. I have to worry about far charges and angles and jumping my line and things. I had to learn. I thought it was resilient to mistakes, and it taught me a ton.
3: I mean, I agree with I, I agree with that. Generally, any army that's got a high level of defense um, is going to be resilient you know, it's a, it's a resilience that's built in and the new player doesn't have to think about, right. And that's, that's helpful. That's clearly helpful. And, and, and again, it's an army that in some respects, although this is, it's one of its biggest limitations or downsides, but it's also one of its upsides too, which is, is that it doesn't move very far. You know, you you don't have to do fancy moves with it because you can't do fancy moves with it. And, and and in that sense, you you can you you know you can you can get your feet underneath you on how the game plays with some resilience and 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 you're not gonna be expected to to have brilliant moves, right? You're you're not gonna have to see 20 inches out and know how to project power 20 inches out like you do with an Alpha Strike army, for example.
1: That's a very key statement because I, I grew into that knowledge in my first year and a half playing. When I first started playing, I couldn't see seven inches out. Like I didn't know the game well enough. Now I can see where I have. If I, I'm like, I'm playing my game. Me and Rob talk about this all the time. I'm playing my game. We go like, man, boy, if I had speed eight stuff, I could blow that out the water. But but when I first started playing, I couldn't see that far or that I could. I didn't understand the table. But this slower army, I felt taught me a ton.
4: I think it's it's a good army, and i want to take a different side for it, on the hobby side, um, because you can actually go with a golem army, defense six. You're not going to get. You're going to have some chance of surviving. You don't have tons of models to paint. Uh, it's probably one of the few things where you can say, I can paint fewer models than the, the ogres. Um, but if you have a community and people to play against, or people who understand the rules and have different armies for you to face, you're going to learn all those things really quickly. And, you know, I know down where you guys are, you guys have a great community. You guys meet there in the war room and all that stuff. It's, Constantly, you're going to learn things. Constantly, you're going to play. Um, but I think for any new player from from the hobby side, from getting out and playing and just just having fun with it, it's an easy army to paint. It's an easy army to get together. It isn't too expensive. I mean, it's not the cheapest army, but it's not too expensive. And you can still do, like, buy one shooting unit and buy a gargoyle unit and, and kind of get used to different things. No, you're not going to have a gun line. You're not going to learn that play style, but you're going to be able to face it and do okay. And I think that's really good for new players, especially if they have somebody there, you know, who's showing them the ropes or, or getting them lots of games in against different armies so they can they can go ahead and do all that fun stuff. I just think that it's really good for new players that way. It isn't great for new players if they don't have that community telling them, don't be discouraged if you're losing all your games. You know, if you're if you're playing games and, and doing that, but any new player has that role. You know, Kings of War, because it is so balanced, the people who play it a lot are always going to have an advantage. You know, there's a reason why some of the better players are always the better players. Rob is never going to be favored against Alex Chavez. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, for me, that's, that's part of the, the thing about Kings of Wars for it's always going to be a steep learning curve for any new player. This one makes it a little bit less bruising because they're going to stick around longer in the game. If that makes sense with defense six, if they're doing that for
1: a smaller, yeah, you, can ex- you can experience more turns, more, more combats, more of everything. Cause you, you stick around
4: a Exactly. And as long as you're learning those steps from that experience, then you can apply it. And as as Rob mentioned earlier, a lot of the guys who are really good players have gone through and played Abyssal Dwarves at some point. Not everybody, obviously, but some people have. You, you learn a lot of things about other people. You learn, you know, yeah, your movement, you have defense six, but you do learn, hey, those movement mistakes cost you because you don't have the movement to make up for it at the yet. And once you can learn to play that control, then when you go to other armies as well, I think you're a better player for it.
2: What I'll say is it sounds like it's a great first army. You know, it does, it, it, it's resilient enough to help you. You only feel punished when you make the mistakes, but I think it showcases the fact that this is a game of deployment and movement, and since you're challenged in those ways, you have to spend a little extra effort really learning that. And when you move on to that second Varanger army, right, that's super fast and super nimble, you know, you're, you're going to make use of it because now you're, gonna, you're unbridled power, right?
1: I'm, I'm so excited. So excited.
2: What points level does this go best
1: at? Higher the better. <laughs>
4: 2300 is a lot better than 2000. This wasn't but just, let's put it that way. Elite options you want to have, and you have to have enough of them for it to matter. And they all cost a lot of points. So whichever flavor you tend to go with, you need to have the points room to do it. Not only that, but the
1: options. Yeah, fine. Once you go down to 2000, what happens to the Gollum army? Is it, I can't bring enough Gollums to be effective at 2000? without giving up the only thing I got that hits worth a dollar my mortal guards or something like that. I got to give that type of stuff up or give up some toys or something to get my golem line solid enough. And then it's less effective.
4: Any Anytime I'm having to give up one of the hex casters, I'm in, I, I'm in trouble because you can hide from one. You can't hide as easily from two. I mean, you can do it, but it's not as easy, but yeah, that's, that's the, the thing, uh, anything under 2000 points, it's difficult. Uh, the smaller it goes, you know, I don't think we're one of the armies that's at a huge advantage for ambush, unless you're going to take some of the cheaper options like the berserkers or the, um, you know, gore, right? You know, gore, uh, slave Orcs, you know, that type of thing. You, you're uh, in ambush. You pretty much have to go with that cheaper stuff to really compete. I think, you know,
1: them an abyssal champion you maybe you don't want to play an ambush game with three hordes of goblins. Just call it a day. I.
4: Well, I don't think you can, right? Yeah, you can't take hordes. Yeah, yeah. So it, it,
1: you only bring the regiments and graders.
4: Yeah, and it, it's like uh, that's not going to be really punchy at all. You know, you know, you're living, losing the whole nerve advantage you have because of the horde. So, um, yeah, I mean, the smaller the points, I think it's the harder harder it is. Um, you know, there's a sweet spot, I'm sure, somewhere in there, but. We we were discussing it. Several of the options we have, we can't even take unless we're talking like five thousand points, because they just don't fit in
2: with what we got. Right. So anyway, sorry. That's all right. Well, it's the time of the show where we get to some lists that you guys are going to share, and we'll let Kelly go first. Kind of give people the you know. How many units it has, unit strength, and that kind of thing. And then as you walk through it, tell us what's in the list and kind of why you put these things in this list.
3: Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about this this afternoon. Definitely trying and have been trying for several months to do an infantry heavy list. So, this one, one of the things that I ran into in this most l- recent iteration where I was trying to, where I'm going to run two troops of Abyssal Berserkers is unlocks. And in one sense, there's, I, I haven't figured this problem out, but you'll understand it here, I think, as I talk about it. So in Black Souls, I have a horde uh, with throwing mastiff and fiery bulwark, and I do have the hammer of measured force. I'd rather like that. And I also have a regiment of Black Souls, just uh, naked, if you will. N- n- no, not switching for the crushing one, but keeping them at defense five. I have those two troops of abyssal berserkers that I want to try out. Uh, essentially, as chaff and uh, or or thick chaff, if you will, uh, I have the horde of abyssal grotesques. I've put uh, the Sir Jesse's boots on them again. In a sense, I backed into the abyssal grotesques because I needed a horde for unlocks, and and I was I wanted to do that as versus another horde of just pure infantry. Right now, I'm buying the three grog mortars. I may very well go to the Rockets now that um, Brian has pointed out to me that they have three attacks apiece. i got to think about that. I have the Hellfane with the uh, Overmaster on him. I have the Overmaster with the upgrade of Infernal Advance. I have a Hexcaster just straight up uh, with uh, – I'm sorry, not just straight up, with Hex, and I've bought Weakness. Um, I have the Halfbreed Champion, and then I have the um, Formation – and in the formation, those two regiments have, have throwing Mastiffs. I'd have throwing Mastiffs on the, the regiment of just playing Black Souls, but but I run out of points. Fantastic.
2: Who wants to go next?
1: Uh, this is actually the list. I'll, I'm going to share the list I played at uh, Kings of Monsters in January. I went three and two with it. The matchups lined up really good for me. And the scenarios, as I said, I think our army's affected a lot by matchups and who we play with what scenario. So it really lined up well. But basically, I got uh, two regiments of um, immortal guards with throwing mastiffs. Uh, my decimators with blessing of the gods. Uh, two troops of gargoyles. Uh, two hordes of obsidian golems, both with charnock. Two uh, packs of throwing mastiffs, both with throwing mastiffs. Uh, two greater golems. Two greater obsidian golems. Uh, an iron caster with conjure staff, surge and bane chant. I use bane chant with my. I, I run bane chant with my immortal guards to give them crushing, keep the defense, but give them crushing as a battle group. Oh, uh, and then I got another uh, spellcaster with Sacred Horn, Surge, and we didn't have a ton of shooting, so I have Veil of Shadows uh, on this, uh, this Hex on this Ironcaster. I bought the one with three dice, and I'll give a little tidbit on why I have spell also. And then I got my Hexcaster with a... I had an Inspiring Talisman because I wanted a third source of Inspiring because I was spread out wide, and he has Hex and Weakness. Uh, the re- uh, Just a tidbit to this list is it's uh, 14 units, 22 unit strength, but... In this tournament, there's a monster called, you pick a monster, and it's Mothra, who does a bunch of healing. She's height six, so I can put her behind my line of golems and give her cover. And then with Veil of Shadows, they can't pop my healer. They're hitting on sixes. That's why I put Veil of Shadows in this list. And I will tell you, Mothra makes this list pretty stout. You think you, we grind great now? Mothra can heal twice a turn, four four heals twice a turn, and she has an aura, uh, Radiance of Life. And when she dies, she gets to heal any troop on the board for Heal 6. So with that veil in that, it made it, you thought we grind well. With that Mothra veil.
2: You're selling King of the Monsters to a lot of potential players next year.
1: Woo, it's fun. Our Bissle Dwarfs, are, in fact, I've never played a tournament. We had, what, four Bissle Dwarf players in that tournament? Five of us? Because of Mothra. Like, it makes the army really stout. But that was a list that I played uh, for Kings of Monsters in January. And it performed pretty well.
4: Blake, I guess you're up, buddy. Well, definitely, uh... King of Monsters sounds good with that option. Any, anytime you can make what you do even better, uh, it, it adds it to it, right? Um, so I've kind of whittled down my stuff. Now, this is affected a little bit by some of the special characters that we bring out in, in different armies uh, or tournaments, I mean. Um, sometimes they have Rally or Heal or things like that that I'm using, so some of this stuff is geared to use those occasionally. Um, but I take, unit uh, you know, Gargoyles I got my four uh, Lesser Obsidian Golem hordes. Uh, as of right now, I've been taking one with Brew of Haste and putting them on a corner. That's uh, so I can have more movement on them. And then I have the Brew of Sharpness on one of them. Uh, I have two uh, Mutated Mastiff hunting packs. I have a Greater Obsidian Golem. I have my Infernok uh, with dravik as well. I also have my iron caster. Now I've been running him with Amulet of the Fireheart, Fireball, Surge, and also taking Scorched Earth, uh, which I'll get into as well. Um, And then I'm bringing my two hex casters. And uh, the last two tournaments, those have had the Tome and the Periscope, as I mentioned earlier. For me, the hex casters are really important as far as if I face somebody who has magic, I just try to shut them down with the magic uh advantages for bane chant uh lightning bolts whatever so they're not trying to pick me off i'm using scorched earth i was taking veil of shadows as well i swapped that out because most armies aren't going to do enough shooting to really chew through me quickly the veil of shadows is just making it less but it's not helping the mitigation that i'm having problems with which is the flank on one corner or the other of my battle line Whereas if I can Scorched Earth them, strip Thunderous off something, you know, make them weaker when they're hitting me, then that has the desired effect. And even if they get a flank, I have a much better chance of, of surviving through it. So that's what I've been starting to take instead. This uh, adv- disadvantage on this is that it's only got 13 units and a unit strength of 17. So whenever you're facing somebody in any scenarios on unit strength, you gotta protect everything. And not everybody likes playing that t- style of game. Um, I don't know, Rob. You played against it. I don't know what you thought of it, except that it was
2: a whole lot of defense six for. It's hard hard to grind through, and you know, in that army, like the little. I mean, I was playing Kingdoms of Men, right? So double giant, uh, double knights, the monarch. Not necessarily the best optimal list, but it has enough crushing strength to pop stuff. But it can't afford a snake eyes or one bad turn because because you have one. See, one of the difficulties with that army is it is stout. If you don't kill it, that's when the surge shenanigans pop in, right? Like you're like, Oh, you're right next to me. Now I pivot in the flank and now, you know, 18, 18 attacks sitting on fours. I'm not eh, crushing two. Okay. That's nine hits. That's five wounds. Maybe. Right. You double that. That's a problem, right? That, that's that's when, okay, things are going to go down quick. So, you know, uh, it's a tough army. And I think you give a, uh, people a lot of bad choices because you know those units require multiple units to take out very few things in the game can take out a golem unit in one go right maybe maybe double giant if they roll good on their slayer rolls but you know it's it's and again they're they're rolling on fours as well so it's a it's a tough list and i think you know i'll say this now for a new player it 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 might be an interesting list for them to play because it's kind of like here's my wall hit me here's my wall hit me and as you know and uh though they'll be able to counter punch effectively. Right. I mean, obviously some scenarios are tough. Well, awesome. That was a Herculean effort to get through the army review. I know you probably had, you known what we we're going to go through to get this recorded. Uh, you guys wouldn't have joined me for this. I appreciate the effort at the time.
1: Uh, it was a great, it was a great conversation. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was a great conversation.
4: Yeah. Thank you guys. I had a great time. And yeah, no, anytime Rob, you know
3: that, but yeah, had a blast. Rob, this has been a great experience. I really have enjoyed talking. I, I think it's been a, a, a great learning experience also. And with that, I'm gonna say we're out of here. Good night.
0: Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on CounterCharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge fifteen.